Hey folks, welcome back to the Ball and Breakfast podcast uh, with Wayne. I'm Patrick. Uh, tonight we have a special for you. We are going to draft our all-time teams uh, for baseball starting in 1990 through the present day. So essentially what we're going to do is go back and forth for 20 rounds. We're going to each create teams uh, that are kind of, you know, all lifetime teams for Wayne and I as we're kind of in our mid-30s here. So you know, perfectly fitting for the baseball that we watched growing up through, you know, today. But essentially, if a baseball player had played, you know, a good amount or maybe the majority of the 90s of his career all the way through the present, they're eligible to be, you know, drafted. So, you know, any players that maybe, you know, caught the the first uh, few years of the 90s, uh, you know, they unfortunately probably be cut from our list, but we're looking for kind of household names throughout the 90s uh, all the way through the present. So, Hopefully that makes some sense. Uh, we're going to draft uh, about 12 hitters here, eight pitchers. Uh, we're going to formulate teams by, you know, a standard baseball roster. And uh, yeah, we're just going to have some fun with this. So um, before we got started here with the pod, uh, we decided to flip a box of matches, heads or tails, uh, I guess tails, and uh, it was tails. So I get to go first here in this amazing inaugural ball and breakfast baseball draft here of legends. And uh, without further ado, I'm just going to take it away and uh, select my first pick. So it's kind of been on my list. I feel like everybody knows this guy. Um, unfortunately for him, he's not a Hall of Famer, but he's put up some pretty incredible numbers, uh, whether or not we all want to stand up and give him a rounding uh, you know, applause here or standing O for what he's done throughout his career. But I'm going to go with left fielder Barry Bonds uh, as my first pick overall. I feel like even before he started to take steroids, um, you know, he was a 500 home run, 500 stolen base guy um, throughout his career. I mean, seven time MVP, 14 time all-star, eight time gold Glover, 12 time silver slugger. He's won a couple batting titles, which kind of unfortunately came in those uh, shadow years of baseball, but um you know, all-time homers, you can take that with a grain of salt. I just kind of feel like if you just look at his stats year by year, and, you know, unfortunately, I think that right around the time of after Sosa McGuire got in their race, you started to see a huge spike in his home runs. But I think even more so, he had about three really off-the-charts type year for home runs based on his age. But beyond that, I think he just started to learn how to, you know, obviously with an extra boost, like control the strike zone, have an amazing on-base percentage. You know, his K-to-walk ratio was off the charts. But in general, I feel like I can't go wrong with a guy who, if you think about the 1990s through the 2000s, was like the guy in baseball. So uh, Barry Bonds, first choice, going to my team. Man, uh, I think that I probably would have made the same pick. Uh, you know, and not look at it with a guilty conscience. Once you said like no, you know, not in the Hall of Fame, I'm like I autom I automatically knew who you were talking about there. So, and that is the fun part about '90s baseball drafts is the, the best players are all cheaters apparently. So, uh, no, I I think that makes sense. And you know, all the MVPs and he had he did have a Hall of Fame career right before all these steroid allegations and such. So, um. Yeah, I think that's a solid pick. Definitely uh, makes sense uh, on my end. Um, now, with my pick, you know, I definitely thought about this too. Uh, you know, I think there's a number of players I, I was looking at, uh, 
you know, now that Barry Bonds is out there. But I am actually going to go with uh, another guy that is maybe uh, not going to be in the Hall of Fame, but put up some really good numbers too. Uh, I'm going to go with a- I'm going to go with Alex Rodriguez actually. Like uh, <laughs> shortstop extraordinaire. If you compare his stats from the shortstop position to any other shortstop in like Major League Baseball history, I know he was to play third base, etc. It's pretty damn good. Uh, and the defensive side too, uh, really, really solid all around. I think he won also a couple gold gloves there. You know, biggest contract in Major League Baseball history at the time. You know, you can definitely talk about him being like a prima donna. You know, borderline douchebag, etc. Right, but you can't deny his talent, the stats he put up, you know, his MVPs, etc. So I'm gonna go with A. Rod, my my own first pick. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, uh, you know, right on the top of my list in terms of guys I would take. Um, you know, again, comes with a little bit of a, you know, shades of gray, I guess you could say, but it's like. If you really think about him in his prime and, you know, we can't pinpoint when exactly these guys started using performance enhancers, but in general, he had always been at the top of his game, especially at shortstop from the time he stepped onto the field until basically he retired. So when you have guys like Bonds and A-Rod that are just like complete naturals at the game, um, you know, I think a lot of ego probably played into those decisions, you know, just wanting to keep pace with some of these guys who were, who were also doing at the time that were obviously like commanding a lot of the headlines, but uh, yeah, I mean, A-Rod's super smooth at shortstop as a fielder, obviously had all that power. He had the speed going, you know, through his game at the start of his career for the, you know, the most part, but I think he was the first guy to, to like pull down a 10 year, 200 plus million dollar contract. And uh, at that time it was like super polarizing. Like I, everyone was like, holy cow, like Texas is crazy, but you know, if you look at contracts today, I feel like A-Rod was the one who kind of put the stamp on that. So, oh, man, that's a great uh, franchise cor- uh, cornerstone here to start off the draft. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, nothing like a little controversy at the top of our drafts there. How about that? So, but yeah, who do you got uh, yeah. for for your next pick there? For my pick, um, I'm going to I'm gonna move into the 2000s a little bit. I know you, uh, you, know, you were touching on kind of the 90s, 2000s with A-Rod, but I'm going to go with uh, first baseman, uh, corner outfielder, third baseman, Albert Pujols. Going to man up my first base position. I mean, his numbers are, you know, just kind of silly throughout his career. A 145 OPS plus, three-time MVP, you know, 101.5 war for his career. Three, you know, 3,300 hits. Guy who's like second all time in RBIs, fourth all time in total home runs. I mean, if you just think about Albert Pujols, like, you know, even his fielding was he was a Gold Glove fielder. Um, he could run bases, you know, he could steal those sneaky bases at his size, even the back half of his 30s. I mean, just like a very smart baseball player and just good team leader. And you know, when he was in St. Louis, then you know, obviously won a couple of World Series titles, but it was more or less his leadership and just that continuity in the clubhouse between, you know, Larusa, Pujols, Yadi Molina, guys like Adam Wainwright. I just feel like he always kind of held that culture together. And when he left, they definitely felt that impact of him leaving, even though, you know, sadly at the tail end of his career, the second half of his career was kind of plagued by injuries. And, you know, to think that he put up the numbers he did and kind of came, kind of like left on a really high note too, as like a 
pinch hitter DH type. Like he was actually putting up some decent numbers at you know to end his career. It's kind of like just exhibiting and showing like his natural talents, but also just his ability to fight father time. So it's like, I don't know, man, when that guy came up uh, for St. Louis, when he was like 22 or something, and he might've been even younger in his rookie year. I think he hit like 30 homers, a hundred RBIs, bad three. It was like right out of the gate. He was, you know, going to be a perennial all-star and he just never stopped. And uh, yeah, he's like the model of consistency, uh, you know, minus some of the injuries in LA. Yeah. I think, him as a Cardinal, like those were like some of the best years of Cardinal baseball, right? When he was playing for them and then, you know, got that big contract with the Angels, battled through injuries, right? Through through those times. Uh, and then from there kind of just bounced around. But you can't deny, you know, his 20s, right? Some of the best baseball years. Any any statistician would just love to have, basically. So uh, Albert Pujols, I definitely think uh, one of the best players uh, of our generation, and no controversy, really, right? So, uh, so I think that's a good pick there. Um, I guess moving on to me, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna double dip in the controversy. Uh, I'm gonna go with the player who's won multiple Cy Youngs. Gonna go with the pitcher here. Uh, he multiple. You know what I'm going with? <laughs> multiple Cy Youngs. Multiple Cy Youngs. Uh. Uh, pitched all through the nineties. And then, so, yeah, I think I retired in 2007 here. I'm going to go with Roger Clemens, the rocket, uh, cheater Clemens actually says here on, on baseball. egg. Uh, but yeah, uh, Roger Clemens, you, you talk about a player that can, that got a bunch of no hitters, uh, Cy Young's, uh, strikeouts, you name it, right. Show dominance, uh, pitched a bunch of innings, got a bunch of wins. You know, you put his career, uh, numbers against anybody, any pitcher, uh, you're you're kind of in awe. Like, how did he accomplish all this? So, yeah, we can definitely talk steroids, PEDs, etc. Uh, but again, you know, similar to Bonds, uh, had a Hall of Fame career before any of these allegations took place. So, I think you got to give him credits due. Sure, he's not in the Hall of Fame, but in the end, uh, this is this this is one of the most dominant pitchers of of any generation. So. Roger Clemens uh, is my, yeah my my pick uh, taking a pitcher off, off off the board here. Yeah, I mean, hundred what is it? Hundred forty WAR, uh, seven <laughs> times Cy Young, two triple crowns, third in K's all time, hundred eighteen complete games. Like you just don't see that kind of stuff anymore. So just like that stable horse, the guy who can go nine innings and just be super dumb, especially for his time, because now it's like. You know, the strikeout per nine ratios are getting higher and higher for even your average pitcher. Whereas, like, he was doing that in the era where it was kind of unforeseen. You know, Nolan Ryan was probably the only other guy who really you know, put his stamp on strikeouts like like Roger Clemens did. So, yeah, his controversy, you know, it still, you know, plagues his career. Obviously, he's not probably going to get into the hall unless like, there's a, you know, down the line type vote to get the guys who couldn't make it on that first ballot, um, you know, happen. But, uh, yeah, in any case, I just feel like um, he'll always be revered and, you know, we'll never really know when he started taking steroids for the most part or, like, how that affected his pitching performances. But, I mean, he was already a shoe-in before he probably started dabbling with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you got to take him here. Uh, one of the best pitchers of any generation, uh, steroids or not. So, uh, yeah, I, I just felt like I needed to take him there, but... Uh, I don't follow you for picking posts, though. He's a really talented player uh, without the controversy. 
So, uh, but yeah, who do you got next? For sure. Man, yeah, I mean, so I'm a little pressed because I'm looking at the past and I'm thinking about the present right now too. And, you know, I've been on record saying that I think this guy is the best baseball player to ever walk the planet. So I'm going to go ahead and do it because I just think, you know, I think when you look at guys like Bonds, A-Rod, Pujols, and Clemens, like, their thresholds, the standards that they set for their positions and like the all-time records they were able to establish, like they give that gives them the leg up, right? Because their careers have already been finalized and defined in a lot of ways. But I mean, we've just never seen a player like Shohei Otani uh, since we saw, you know, or for those that, you know, maybe a great-grandparent or somebody who watched Babe Ruth in some form or fashion, you know, nobody's done what Otani's done for the game you know, uh, in both positions, a guy who, you know, at this point is averaging um, 40 home runs and 100 RBIs, you know, per season. He averages 11.4 strikeouts per nine and a 15 and eight uh, career average for record and 302 ERA. I mean, at 29 years old, I'd like to say that Shohei, barring he has some crazy injuries, could possibly play for the next 11 or so years. I mean, we're looking at guys like Scherzer, Verlander are going into their forties pools was like basically able to get there, you know, and then just thinking about like where health and training and, you know, all that kind of stuff is moving as we go into the future. I feel like that might, you know, help him in terms of, you know, extending his longevity, like a LeBron James in basketball. It's just like, I don't know, man, a guy can throw up to hundred miles per hour. He's got some of the fastest exit velocities on, his hits, uh, a, a true competitor. I'd love to see him in the playoffs, uh, you know, at some point here soon. You know, the stats that he has on paper so far aren't going to say enough about him when we, you know, line him up against these other greats that have come before him. But I just think he's that good. So uh, I'm going to take Shohei. Yeah. I mean, when you discuss like pure talent uh, of MLB players out there, I don't know how you can't go. Shohei. So I, I had it. I, I was looking at him. I was hoping he wouldn't take him, but I figured he would definitely go sometime <laughs> soon. Just probably going to win another MVP as well. So I think that's a solid overall pick. And uh, I'm definitely going to be jealous of that one, I, I think. So, um, but I'm going to stick to my guns. You know, I had a couple players that I wanted to, you know, kind of take out here now uh, that I think I, I, it's one of those I just had to have these players here. So, you know, I, I, I know I went pitcher. I'm going to go pitcher again here. I got a pick, and I'm just thinking of a pitching lineup or pitching uh, rotation here. Roger Clemens, and then I'm also thinking about one of the other best pitchers of all time of any generation, one of my all-time favorite players in general. I got to pick Greg Maddox here. Uh, you're talking about a pitcher, one of the most efficient pitchers ever, uh, and he pitched during the steroid area and was able to have, you know, uh, what 15 straight wins for like you know a dozen plus uh, seasons uh, is it fa very famous for being able to pitch complete games uh, without going over the century mark. So you know one of the best uh, you know call it a sinker, two seamer, whatever, able to locate uh, and just again dominate during the steroid area. Uh, I don't know how you can't go Greg Maddox here. Uh, as another pitcher, uh, I'm just going to take a bunch of pitchers until you pick, pick one probably. But no, honestly, one of my favorite players uh, 
ever. And also all the gold, the gold gloves that he had as well. I think he had like, I don't know, 15 some odd gold gloves. Like this is just one of the most incredible, like kind of, uh, overall baseball players out there. So yeah, Greg Maddox, my pick here. Yeah, no, I mean, he's up on my list. He's very high for starting pitchers. I had him obviously in mind as we were walking through this, um, you know, like, like Clemens, a hundred plus, you know, complete games. He, he actually averaged six strikeouts per nine over his career. <laughs> but what's funny is also 10th all time in, in strikeouts. So it's like, you just think about that longevity that he had. I mean, he, I mean, how many years he played, I mean, probably 20 or more, you know, and kind of even felt like, like you were saying with the 15 plus wins consecutive, you know, in, in consecutive years, it was like, even in that twilight period of his career where he was bouncing around from like the Cubs to the Dodgers, the Padres and stuff. He was still like Mr. Consistency, staying under a four ERA, like very serviceable and like just quietly, you know, padding his resume and stuff. But uh, yeah, four times Cy Young. I mean, definitely uh, one of the best craftsmen of all time. The only thing that I'm going to throw shade on with Maddox, and this also goes for Tom Glavin, is we weren't in the era of like those defined strike zones where you know, you could see the strike zone outlining the plate and this and that. And those guys would always get two balls on each side of the plate <laughs> by the umps. I think it was just like how crafty they were, you know, just being able to like paint every pitch and, you know, show that elite, you know, level control, um, taking nothing away from these guys. I'm sure they'd still be just as good these days, but uh, yeah, it definitely added a little bit of value to them. But I, um, yeah, I'm nitpicking here. I think Greg Maddox is like a, yeah, obviously front-of-the-line starter for any legend team. That yeah, sounds good. All right, which uh, which player uh, are you picking next that I can, uh, you know, talk shit on? Okay, okay. We're down that <laughs> path. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are some short-list guys here that I think are absolute studs. Um, I'm going to go with my first pitcher here. I actually think that... Um, Honestly, he may be one of the best of all time. And injuries have kind of come into play for him throughout his career. Um, he's had some seasons where they were cut a little bit short, but in the same sense, his his stats never suffered as a result. And, you know, he just keeps battling back. But, you know, Clayton Kershaw, to me, just in terms of, you know, what he's done throughout his career, I mean, he's 35. You know, let's say he stays healthy for a few more seasons more here. I know he's had back issues, he had other things throughout his career, but you know, if he can cobble together a couple more seasons here and maybe get to 250 career wins, I mean, a guy who already has 80 WAR. I think Maddox was in the you know 105 territory. I think Clemens was like what we were talking about 140 or something like that. But like 80 WAR territory, 208 uh, career wins. He's a 2.48 uh, career ERA, which is about a point lower. Um, than some of the greats out there. I mean, if you look across the board of you know, all-time great pitchers, I mean, he's almost a point lower on the ERA. He's won an MVP, three Cy Young Awards, a Triple Crown, um, five-time ERA title winner, and has a 157 ERA plus, which just basically demonstrates, you know, if the average is 100 ERA plus, he's, you know, looking at almost being like one and a half times, you know, better than the average pitcher, you know, for his career. And, uh, just about 10 Ks per nine. And, you know, I know the Dodgers have only won one world series, but you know, Clayton's never really been the reason why I think that they've had those struggles. And he's had some bumps here and there in the postseason earlier on in his career, but like just to get him there year in, year out and always be that 
you know, staple force for the Dodgers. I feel like, you know, he's going to be revered, I think, in the top top three to five pitchers of all time, just depending on who you're talking to. But I'll uh, take Clayton as my, uh, besides Otani, my uh, first starting pitcher. Yeah. No, hey, he's definitely had to put himself a Hall of Fame career. Uh, but yeah, that postseason uh, ERA, I just always recall him getting rocked, like when it mattered the most, <laughs> I felt like. Like he has a four point was a two two ERA in, in the postseason, which you know for a legendary uh you know pitcher like I don't know any other pitcher like that has a higher ERA than that. I feel like here I think I'm looking at Maddox. He has like a three point. It's like three two. I think it, it says here, and I'm sure Roger Clemens. You know he's definitely had a lot of postseason success from what I recall. So. I mean, that is, like, the one thing you can knock. Like, he's kind of like the Peyton Manning, if you will, right, of, hey, I have, I've achieved every other kind of accolade, I think, with regards to a pitcher, but I suck in the postseason, like, for whatever reason why, right? I, he, he just never showed up there. But, um, you know, has a ring, though, so it's like, okay, great. Uh, although, to your point, it was not because of him. Like, almost like the opposite of, like, Madison Bumgarner, right, where was it Madison Bumgarner, like, we'll have a decent, like, regular season, but postseason Madison Bumgarner like lights out like can't touch this guy right so uh yeah I just feel like that's like the one knock on him but uh definitely you know one of the best Dodger pitchers uh of all time and you know for sure one of the best uh pitchers I think in the 2000s uh, onwards so yeah cool and then I guess moving on to for me then for my me- my next pick um I'm gonna go hitter I'm going to go uh, with one of the sweetest swings you will ever see coming out of center field. We were talking about this person before, kind of on the fringe from the 90s there, but hey, hits there, right there at 1989. Uh, I'm going to go with the kid, Ken Griffey Jr. So again, one of the sweetest swings out there, uh, you know, Mr. Mariner, right? You talk, you talk about Mariners, like the first name that comes to the mind. Uh, I, I I think is Griffey and then like sure Edgar uh, for sure. But honestly, like one of the best players, one of the coolest guys out there too. Great ambassador of the game. Also has one of the coolest uh, baseball sports games as well. So I feel like how much can you not love this, this guy? Uh, and then, yeah, kind of, I feel like some of his legacy might've been lost with regards to like, you know, the steroid people, like with the Bonses, the Sosas, the McGuire's of the nature, like definitely had really great seasons while those guys were hitting like, you know, 60 plus homers, he was hitting 50 and such. So I think that's where, you know, there was, he definitely got overshadowed there, but you can't, you can't argue his contributions to the game. Uh, definitely, you know, battled some injuries when he was returned to his home in Cincinnati, but at the same time, like what you're mentioning with Pujols, kind of a similar career path in that sense. So, um, but yeah, very fortunate that the White Sox got him, even though it was later in his career, I guess. But uh, yeah, King Griffey Jr., I don't know. Again, that sweet swing, awesome home run swing. Uh, Gold Glove center fielder as well. Uh, Definitely got to take him here. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) Ken Griffey is Ken Griffey, and Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest is honestly one of the best games of all time on N64. Like, really, that was a great (laughs) game. I played it religiously at home, but... Yeah, like starting at age 32, he couldn't really cobble together full seasons. I mean, not even half seasons in a lot of cases. I think 144 games was the most he played uh, past the age of 32 in a single season. So definitely put a dent in his all-time uh, home run totals, uh, probably RBIs, runs, etc. But 
Yeah, home runs especially. I mean, I think he ended with 630, you know, probably like 100, um, you know, 30 plus short of the all-time record, which is a bit tainted at this point, too, by one of my guys. But, uh, but yeah, man, Griffey was obviously a pure stud, came up at 19, you know, never looked back. I mean, he was born for it. So, yeah, man, I love the kid. That's a great pick. And, yeah, man, shout out Ken Griffey Jr. Sweet. What do you got next? Man, I'm going to go with a guy that's had a similar career as Ken Griffey Jr. They play the same position. Uh, this guy is still in the major leagues. He's been plagued by some injuries, but in the same sense, he has a higher career war total than Ken Griffey Jr. Um, a lot of guys were talking while he was in his 20s is him being you know, the very best player to ever step on the field, uh, best offensive player, etc. I mean, all-time you know, career averages at this point, batting 300 for his career, 368 home runs. He averages, you know, 40 homers, uh, 100 RBIs, 20 stolen bases, uh, over a 162-game average, um, a 300 average, like I said, without, you know, 1,000 OPS. I mean, this guy, 174 OPS plus. I mean, he is, you know, won that total, won that honor six times in his career in single seasons and you know, has the speed, has three MVPs to boot. I mean, Mike Trout, I love the guy. I wish his career had played out with a, with a lot more health than it already has. I wish he's, you know, was able to get into the playoffs, uh, you know, year in, year out. That's been a huge bugaboo for the Angels as an organization. And, you know, the same things that's going on with Otani have just plagued Trout in terms of, uh, you know, this lack of playoff appearances. So hopefully he gets into the playoffs, but you know, regardless, I think no matter how Trout's career ends up, he's easily a Hall of Famer, I think, already. Um, you know, a lot of standard metrics we look at for Hall of Fame, you know, the 500 homers, the, you know, um, could be just like the career averages and stuff. Like, they probably want like you want to look at, you know, seeing him put up at least 400 home runs or something. But literally, if he, he retired tomorrow, I think they'd make him a Hall of Famer. So Mike Trout's uh, going to play center field for my team. Yeah, I I I definitely like that comparison of Griffey because uh, yeah, you're talking about players that player that was like in their 20s, and he also played. I, I think yeah, he he joined the league like when he was like 19 or 20, right? As well, so it's like came into the league very young. Uh, definitely had a lot of promise there. Uh, I I remember him coming in like d during the time where there was a lot of hype, right, with Bryce Harper, and I was like, oh, he's he's better than Bryce. Like, and you look at the careers, right. And how kind of how they've turned out now, what, like a 10, 10 years or something like that later, it's like, oh, Mike Trout's definitely had a better career. Uh, has battled through the injuries and doesn't have the playoff, uh, you know, experience that maybe Bryce Harper has. But still, you can't argue about overall who's been the best player looking at the stats, looking at their impact and such. Uh, now that, yeah, they have Shohei and, you know, it, it is kind of a shame that there's two players that are currently uh, playing right now and... You know, they're not uh, in the playoffs, right? And these are, like, some of the best talents in all of baseball uh, for the past, like, you know, 20 years. So really a shame that, that that's occurring. And, yeah, you've, you've drafted both of them. So, uh, but, yeah, Mike Trout, uh, definitely, I think, probably one of the – probably the best player, in my opinion, of, like, you had the 2010s uh, or something, right? So I feel like if you stack his stats, awards, accolades amongst anybody, he's probably uh, right up there. So – All right. And I guess looking on for the next pick here, I'm looking at, I'm going to go catcher. 
I think, and this is kind of like my thought process here. I think for catcher from like, you know, maybe late 80s, 90s right to today, I think, in my opinion, there's a wide variance uh, between the person I'm going to pick right now and then, you know, maybe who, who we might deem as the second pick here. Just, I think by sheer talent, sure, we can talk about accolades and such as well, but I think sheer talent-wise, no question. Uh, I'm, I have to go with Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez. Uh, you're talking about one of the best defensive catchers of all time. And then, oh, yeah, like, this guy can hit too? Like, awesome. Oh, maybe, can he steal a couple of bases too? Yes, he can. Like, somebody that would... Uh, basically be a stopper from anybody that would, would want to steal a base. So that on top of, you know, a career uh, 296 uh, hitter, uh, OPS, almost 800, 300 plus uh, home runs. I mean, I don't know what else can you want from out of a catcher, almost 3,000 hits as well. So it's like you stack his career against, you know, basically any other catcher out there. He's got to be one of the best. And he did that, you know, during the 90s, won a championship where if you remember, like, this player's, uh, Pudge's impact uh, for the, uh, what was, like, the Florida Marlins, he was the best player out there. He really, like, was the was the, the player that managed the pitching staff, you know, with young a young pitching staff. Like, I think they had, like, Josh Beckett, Brett, Brett Penny, you know, Carl Pavano, right? They were all pretty young players. So he helped manage that pitching staff. And then on top of that, you know, uh, was able to slug some uh, some hits as well, you know, with the young uh, Miguel Cabrera. So that team, like, he definitely was like that veteran presence, leader, carried them on. And then, yeah, killed it, obviously, with the Rangers as well. So for me, I had to go with uh, Padre Rod- Rodriguez here. Yeah, I mean, throughout my younger years, I mean, that was – the one catcher they feel like he's got those Yadier Molina type defensive skills and, you know, hit it with any other catcher in his time or even, you know, since then throughout the 2000s, you know, to the 2010s to the present. So, I mean, just an absolute, like, I don't know, chiseled type of backside. I mean, most like athletic bodied catcher, I think I've seen as well, like just completely ripped, like head to toe, you know, short and stocky, but just like completely solid, you know, through and through. But yeah, like you're saying, like a complete glovesman, one of the best arms I've ever seen from behind home plate. And then, you know, to kind of be a middle of the, you know, order type hitter all throughout his career with several different organizations. And yeah, that whole run with the Marlins was a lot of fun. Um, you know, knocking off uh, <laughs> the Cubbies too, <laughs> like with the Bartman game and everything like that, that whole series. But no, man, that was a great pick. Uh, yeah, Pudge is definitely, definitely on my short list for catchers for sure. Great. What do you got up? Man, I'm going to take the guy with the very best nickname in the game. I'm going to grab the big unit, uh, Randy Johnson, uh, to just be a dominant force in my rotation. Um, Second all-time in strikeouts, a five-time Cy Young Award winner, um, Hall of Fame, obviously, triple crown, you know, uh, 100-plus on the war. He's won a World Series. He was the MVP in that World Series, uh, four-time ERA uh, winner, 300-plus wins, 100-plus, you know, complete games throughout his career and uh, averaged 11.5 strikeouts per nine. I mean, besides destroying a, a flying bird in the middle of a spring training game, I mean, it felt like every single ball he threw was, 
just complete filth, man. I like just watching him growing up and just thinking about being either a lefty or righty, like there were no outs. I mean, kind of that three quarter delivery, you know, coming in near a hundred, uh, just great lateral movement. And like his slider would just break in on righties and hit the, you know, the back of the, the righties, uh, you know, foot and with lefties, I mean, good luck, you know, trying to hit one of his, uh, you know, breakers or anything he was throwing off speed. I mean, I just feel like he just looked like a closer in a starting pitcher's, you know, mold in a lot of ways. Like he was going to go seven, eight, nine innings, but he looked like a closer every inning. And uh, yeah, man, that guy was just one of the ugliest dudes to ever step on the field as well. It's just like how intimidating his entire package was. Like, I don't know, man, he just, he just embodies what it is to be like a major league pitcher and, you know, shout out Randy Johnson, but so happy that he uh, he joined my squad. Yeah, no, that's a great pick. I feel like Randy, you uh, didn't have like immediate success, right? Like you, you, I think he definitely struggled early on. It's like, oh, is this pitcher actually going to make it here? Uh, so I think that was like something that you know I, I noticed you know, in kind of his career, but then eventually just i think he actually had a i think he had a conversation with roger clemens i think it was uh i believe it was him uh but yeah something basically about like locating the ball just like pitching and using your stuff there and that definitely like i, I think just changed the the trajectory of his career and yeah became that dominant pitcher and i always remember those uh those games i think we had with kurt schilling right uh when he was with the diamondbacks and that that championship run there like what a stud like what a stud and I love the aspect that he, he, uh, yeah, he is known for you know killing a bird and everything, but he is like now like a a sports photographer, uh, which is the most hilarious thing. And I think his his uh, his the logo for his company is like is like that dead that dead bird essentially. And I don't know, I think that's just a nice like little quirk of Randy Johnson. Like he's he kind of just owns his whole persona. Like yeah, he's an awkward whatever type of guy and all that, but at the same time. Like he's just being himself, and you gotta love him. You gotta love him. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and then moving on to my next pick. Well, since you got a pitcher, and I feel like you know I got some pitchers here, and you you took the lefty that I was like anticipating on taking here. I might as well go a couple righties here. I'm gonna go with one of the most dominant pitchers uh, in the '90s. You're talking about a guy. That again during this whole steroid era where people were hitting home runs and you know we were at record pace in terms of runs production, batting averages, etc. This pitcher uh, had two seasons, two seasons sub two ERAs, which is unheard of again during this time. So I'm going to go with uh, Pedro Martinez. Uh, <laughs> You know, seriously, my next pick, man. Seriously, I had to take him. Slightly. I had, I had to take him. Yeah, like he, he had, he retired with an ERA under three. Again, this is a pitcher that pitched during the steroid era. That uh, 2000 season where he had a 1.74 ERA. I think many people consider that one of the best seasons of all time. Again, if you compare his stats and he has his ERA and such to other players during that time. It doesn't touch it, and then oh yeah, he almost also uh, he also almost got three hundred strikeouts in the same season as well. So, 
one of the best, uh, just the best stuff overall. One of the best change up circle change had also, you know, really good curveball. Uh, and then he had a couple heaters there, you know, was definitely known for, uh, making sure like commanding the strike zone, making sure you weren't crowding the plate. I think it was kind of infamous for that, but at the same time, you, you, you gotta love that moxie. And then, yeah, being part of the pitching staff that ended, uh, you know, the curse. So I feel like you gotta have somebody like Pedro there, nineties, Pedro, whether it be the Montreal Expos or the Boston Red Sox, Pedro Martinez. Now I feel really good about this. Pedro, Roger Clemens, Maddox. Ah, I love my pitching squad right now. So, but yeah. Yeah, man, you're, you're building a rotation over there for sure. I mean, to add Pedro to the mix, I mean, seriously, what, what a complete, uh, you know, ace, I would say throughout his entire career. I mean, with the Expos was completely nasty, maybe at the peak of his game, you know, Boston years, uh, especially the late nineties, like you were saying, sub two ERA, you know, he added some struggles in, you know, the, what was it? The 2003 world series or, or, or maybe had some ups and downs a little bit for his, you know, for his standards, but in the same sense, like, you know, I think he won a couple world series or maybe one, um, honestly in his career with Boston, but, uh, yeah, man, no doubt. I mean, lit up the strikeouts was one of the most intimidating guys, uh, to go against and never back down from anybody. I mean, I think I've seen a couple highlight reel films with him getting in fights and like starting the fight and, not backing down in those situations, like continually going, you know, up and in on guys that were crowding the plate and, you know, commanding that respect and, you know, he definitely earned it. So, um, yeah, Pedro is a, is a great pitch or, you know, a great pick for that, for that spot as a pitcher. Yeah. I'll say that. Who you got next? Man, I am torn. I am, uh, I'm looking at a couple guys here, but, I'm You're gonna make the wrong choice no matter what. Locked in. <laughs> Am I? We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my gut here. Um, I'll, I'll see if this guy makes it to the next round. If uh, if you don't grab him, but you know, this guy oh. entered the MLB at 27. Uh, he had a great start to his career overseas before you know making it to the MLB. Uh, when he finally did, you know, get to the show. He batted 311 for his career. He had over three, you know, thousand hits. Um, he won a couple batting titles, an MVP, the Rookie of the Year. He was a 10-time All-Star, 10-time Gold Glover. Um, you know, 500 plus stolen bases. A lot of people talked about him as a guy who could have probably hit 500 home runs had he decided to, you know, swing the bat with power, but instead just like was one of the best contact hitters of all time, best leadoff hitters of all time. And uh, I think they say when you combine his stats of his overseas work to, you know, what we have here in the United States on paper, he could have pushed Pete Rose for the all-time hits uh, lead, you know, in general. But Ichiro Suzuki, man, I'm going to steal a Seattle Mariner from Wayne here. Um, you know, I don't think there's anyone who doesn't like Ichiro as a player. Um, and honestly... When he was, you know, in the game, I just felt like you could never get the guy out. I mean, he could chop a ball to second base and be there within, you know, less than three and a half seconds and, you know, put a nice bunt down or slap a hit where there was a hole or, or whatever needed to be done. But they even said, like, when they needed him to put one out, he could put one out. And he had a lot of power that was just held back because, you know, he chose to do that. So never seen a guy, 
you know, besides another 90s star with that much back control. And uh, yeah, man, his defense is what takes him over the top, though. When I when I think about other great hitters um, of all time, I think the fact that he had one of the best arms from right field was an amazing fielder. You know, he's got a lot of highlights of him robbing home runs as well. I mean, just a guy who was a complete baseball player through and through. Yeah, no, that he 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 was definitely on my radar. Uh, <laughs> I he's definitely one of my favorite players I've ever seen. I think that goes, you know, for a lot of people. Just uh, that throw where he just, he tossed out that uh, I think it was Jeremy Giambi or whomever like on at third base. Like that was no, it was Terrence Long. I think. Um, yeah, just, that was just a beautiful throw. Uh, his personality, just the way he takes care of himself. Uh, he was probably the most uh the 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 uh, batting stance that i probably most like mocked uh you know when i was like in, you know playing softball or whatever right so uh just a fun player right and the 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 amount of like the time that he took to get to first base and got out of the batter's box it was insane right like you would see he would just it would what would look like a routine ground ball like he would get a single out of it and get on base there and that's the reason why he's able to, you know, have all the hits that he's been able to manufacture. So, um, one of the most entertaining players uh, of any generation anybody can possibly see. So, yeah, that is like the one pick. I'm like, I think I'm pretty jealous about this, man. So, yeah, good pick, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, I guess moving on for me. Uh, I'm I'm torn between two players too. I think we're getting into that territory where it's like, okay, let's let's see, let's think strategically about who we want next here. But um, the player I'm gonna pick, uh, I think he's one of the best player defensive players of all time. Uh, I think he was as much as I hated the uh, the Cleveland at the time Indians, right against the White Sox during you know the the nineties two thousands. I always appreciated this person, and then he eventually joined the White Sox for you know a couple of years. Uh, but yeah, I gotta go with Hall of Famer Roberto Alomar uh, at second base. You know, uh, I was debating between some other players in second base. Don't want to say too much about them, not to knock on them, but again, you combine the defensive end at second. And then you also uh, look at you know him being able to hit, get on base, etc., manufacture runs. Uh, you know he had a, a 300 uh, batting average and then OPS 814 again at the second base position, uh, 67 WAR. Uh, you know, and then all the gold, 10 Gold Gloves as well. Won the ALCS MVP, All Star MVP, four time Silver Slugger. So. You know, and he's also a switch hitter as well, and I think that's great here. So, Roberto Almar, uh, yeah, love him or hate him during his time in his career, but in the end, one of my favorite overall players, I think, at second base. Yeah, I mean, I think John Hirschbeck would have a lot to say about that um, selection right there. I mean, the umpire that Robbie spit on uh, while he was with the Orioles. <laughs> but, um, no, man. Apart from that, I agree with you. I think watching him and Vizquel up the middle is like some of the most magical infield play by, you know, a uh, a duo, you know, up the middle. So just just watching them kind of do their ballet uh, year in year out for the Indians that was so much fun to watch. And 
you know, Robbie could definitely stick it. I mean, won a couple World Series with Toronto in the early 90s. Um, man, yeah, just a complete baseball player. I mean, over batted over 300, you know, 2,700 plus hits. I mean, that guy was a complete stud. And, and at second base, too, he played, you know, kind of a, a scarce position for, um, you know, real elite type type hitters or type talents, you know, especially for the era that we're covering here. So, I mean, I think that gives him just an extra boost um, overall. But, yeah, man, definitely a fabulous uh, baseball player. Yeah, thanks. Who do you got next? Man, for me, uh, I got a guy who's got a little bit of positional versatility, um, a guy who obviously played a good amount of time over the 80s, um, established himself as an all-star um for many years, I mean, bled into the 90s where his career kind of started to wind down, come to a close. But man, I'm going with the Iron Man uh, on this one. I'm going to grab uh, my guy Cal Ripken here. Um, you know, a 96 career war, 430 home runs, 3,184 hits. He was part of 19 All-Star games, eight silver sluggers, two gold gloves, and he won a pair of MVPs. Um, a guy who could play, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, obviously beating, uh, you know, Gehrig's record for most, you know, consecutive games played. I mean, just to think about, you know, the grind and the, the haul it takes to, you know, play 162 games per season, you know, let alone do that over, you know, decades of baseball, you know, of baseball is just unheard of, especially in today's day and era of uh, load management and other things. I mean, I don't think his career games uh, consecutively, you know, played will ever be beaten. Um, just thinking about how, you know, many injuries come into play and just how rosters are finagled on a daily basis now in today's game with matchups and everything like that and analytics. But apart from just him being in every game, I mean, there was a reason why he was on the field for that much, you know, time as well. I mean, just looking at his career numbers and uh, obviously like a class act, uh, high character guy, um, just revered in Baltimore and yeah, I'm going to pencil him to, you know, into shortstop here, maybe a little third base. He might hit the bench on some games, you know, to break the Iron Man streak for my team, but you know, Ripken will definitely be a, a staple on my team. Yeah. I think that's a good pick. Uh, you definitely can uh, maybe pen him in into the lineup, right? Just knowing that he's going to be able to play and show up there. So, uh, you know, one of the most, I think revered type of players out there, right? Just very much, uh, you know, known for and you know that I think it was like ninety nine, ninety eighth, like All Star game. I think like whichever one was like his last uh, All Star game. I think that was a very memorable moment where he hit that home run. Um, I think it was uh, in Safeco at the time in Seattle. So uh, yeah, I think good overall, solid pick uh, there. So, um, and I guess for me, moving on. Oh man, I I I gotta I gotta do it. I gotta do it again. I'm kind of taking this player out of uh, a little bit more on the sentiment side, but, you know, uh, at the same time, he's the best at his position of all time. I got to pick Mariano Rivera here. <laughs> you know, is it early for for closer, for positional value, whatever? Like, I don't care. Uh, Mariano, like, when you talk about uh, the player that you want at the end of the game, it was always Mariano Rivera, except, you know, the whole Luis uh, Gonzalez thing. But apart from that, like, as good of a postseason career as you can possibly have, uh, won all those championships, you know, with the Yankees, 
Uh, just all around cool guy too. He he also snagged fly balls during batting practice as well. Uh, so you know, for me, it was definitely it, I, I I definitely was like one of those uh, decisions, I guess. Like, all right, there's some other players out there, you know, uh, that maybe make more sense. But for that one inning, I gotta have Mo there. So Mariano, my closer, gonna pen that in right now. No man, I mean. <laughs> There's nothing really to say. I mean, he, you know, looking at his postseason records, I think I even did like a quick scan. I think he's like for all time ERA. I think he's got that mark for, you know, uh, a minimum level of uh, appearances. I think he's got the all time whip. I think he has the all time like batting average against like everything you could think of in the postseason. He has it. Then he's got this, you know, all time saves, you know, he pitched for the Yankees. So, you know, what was it? Five World Series championships or what have you and just. You know, he was pretty lights out in the playoffs. I mean, I think he had, you know, 2001 or, yeah, 2001 against the Diamondbacks, probably the only time I've ever seen him falter in the playoffs. But besides that, you know, he's basically been, you know, completely lights out throughout his career. So is it early to grab a reliever? Maybe, but if you're going to do it, you may as well grab, like, the guy who's in the tier, you know, one by himself for his position, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely feel, has that feeling of, did I take a punter too soon or something like that? But, hey, whatever. If it's the best punter <laughs> of all time, I don't know. That's fine by me, I guess. But, yeah, anyways, uh, who do you got for your next pick? Yeah. Um, you know, I think my roster needs certain positions, but I'm just going to take the best player overall at this point for myself because I see a, a lot of parity at certain positions that, you know, maybe I still need to fill. So, this guy's been a little bit overlooked, in my opinion. I think we've talked about some of the best players to ever step on the field. Um, you know, this guy started in the 70s, you know, went through the 80s, the 90s. I think he touched into the 2000s as well. Um, he's first all-time in stolen bases. He's first all-time in runs. He has over, uh, you know, 3,000 career hits. He's a... Hall of Famer, an MVP, a 10-time All-Star. He's won two World Series, three Silver Sluggers, and has a 400 OBP for his career. Guy plays left field, which is uh, kind of blocked by my guy Barry Bonds. My entire outfield is full, so is my DH position. But if I'm going to get a guy off the bench and just have like as much uh, you know star power as possible, with a lot of flair as well, I'm going to take my guy Ricky Henderson uh, as, a, as a solid contributor off my bench. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely one of those uh, most exciting players out there. You you got Ricky Henderson and Ichiro there. That, I feel like that's a lot of speed that you got there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I mean, cool. Trout as well. I mean, I just feel like uh, yeah, too much. I have too many outfielders in a DH. But man, if I'm gonna have a guy who come off the bench, be you know uh, a guy who can grab a couple steals and you know help to spell Barry Bonds on his off days or when he gets suspended for my team, so. You know, Ricky Anderson's a stud, and I honestly think when we talk about like all-time careers and all-time best players, I feel like he does get left out of the conversation unfairly when you just look at his resume and just think about who he was. Like, man, he he can his numbers can can stand against a lot of guys in the in the MLB. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, for sure. Uh, I'm gonna move on here. I'm gonna look at uh third base here. So. Uh, one of, you know, the top players you would think, uh, with, uh, or one of the best teammates, I, I think you can say for 
that Braves team uh, that, you know, won a championship. This player is an MVP winner, uh, batting title winner, uh, multiple all-stars, multiple silver sluggers, one of the best switch hitters of all time. Uh, I'm going to go with Chipper Jones here at third base. Uh, career OBP over 400, uh, you know, it had 468 homers, but, you know, as a switch hitter, you, I, I think you got to, you got to give him a lot of credit in terms of what he was able to accomplish there. Um, did win that MVP. So there was a time where he was the best player in the league, uh, you know, according to the voters there. And, you know, you think you talk about consistency and that, that Atlanta Braves team, right? Like he was one of the best uh, hitters for uh, that entire team on the, on the offensive side to go along and pair with that awesome pitching. So got to go here. Chipper Jones uh, for my third baseman. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Chipper Chipper always found himself in the playoffs with the Braves. Um always a three-hitter for the for, you know, all those 90s teams. Obviously, they were always in the race. I think they won that one in 95 and came up short and a lot of other years, but yeah, even in the playoffs, I felt like he always performed. He was always, you know, Mr. Cool. Um played his entire career in Atlanta, which is also pretty sweet. It's not very often we get to see that anymore. So, um obviously he's a legend there, but yeah, I mean, 85 um, career war, I mean, stands up with a lot of the best, you know, third baseman infielders of this whole era that we're speaking of. So, I mean, it's definitely in that upper echelon of, of players. So that's a that's a rock solid uh, option you got there. Cool. Who do you got next? Yeah. Um, yeah, we're still, man, we are still in the thick of it here. I am... <laughs> This is tough, man. This is tough because there's a lot of guys, I feel like, in the pitching realm that are kind of on the same wavelength for me. But yeah, I'm starting to starting to move out of my pitchers. infield a little bit here. There are a lot of pitchers, for sure. There's a lot of pitchers um, out there. Not ready to fall on it just yet. But, you know, I'm just going to go for the guy that Man, I think everybody, oh, you know, he's going to get the overrated stuff. He's going to get the, you know, was he really as good as he was advertised throughout his time, you know, in our era that we're talking about here. But for me, man, he he lived up to all, you know, the hype that he got. I think in some ways you could consider him a little bit underrated for, for everything that he did for the game of baseball, even for, you know, the New York Yankees. But, man... You got to go with the captain. Derek Jeter um, is somebody that I think is just like the definition of a gamer. You know, if, if we're talking about guys who, you know, you get to the playoffs, you get to those tense moments, you need a big hit. I mean, Mr. November himself, a guy who always seemed to, you know, get the big home run. He obviously made that play in Oakland that is just replayed, uh, you know, almost annually. I feel like during the playoffs, the flip, you know, and the just that uh that swipe tag that they got on Jeremy Giambi at the end of it but man Derek Jeter you know for what it's worth you know all the uh aura aside for being a Yankee for for winning you know the five world series that he did I mean guys still you know had 3400 plus hits in his career batted 310 lifetime um he's 11th in all-time runs um you know he won a world series MVP uh Obviously, the five that I talked about, but five silver sluggers, five golden gloves, uh, 14-time All-Star. He was the rookie of the year. He's already a Hall of Famer. Man, just 
just everything that I'd want in a baseball player is Derek Jeter. So, you know, I'll see if I can move Cal to third base um, and have Jeter, you know, man up short. But either way, if he's on my bench, he's on my bench and uh, I can live with that. Yeah. I mean, you got a pretty classy, uh, 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 you know, left side of the the infield there. So with uh, Derek Jeter and Cal Ripken, like, like th- those are two of the best people in baseball, right? I feel like they're like ambassadors of the game there. And, you know, I think they're also good friends too. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely thought about Derek Jeter, but I'm like, you know, if I'm going to pick a rod and such, like I might as well go that route. And I, I didn't want to do the whole a rod at third base and Jeter again, <laughs> shortstop like the Yankees or something. So that just felt a little dirty, but yeah, like you mentioned, I think he was like fifth all time in hits, I believe. And it's like, yeah, you can knock them all you want with regards to, you know, not being like maybe the most explosive player and such, but one of the most consistent players out there at a high level. And I think that's the key thing and showed up, you know, during the prime time, you, you talk about the flip too. So, uh, yeah, I definitely had mixed feelings about that, but at the end of the day, I kind of chose a different path, but you got to appreciate jo- uh, not Jordan, but he is part of the Jordan brand, Derek Jeter, uh, and his contributions to the game and the way he played too. So, yeah. All right. Uh, move on up here now. I think, you know, uh, trying to fill out the roster a little bit here. One of my uh, favorite players to play with uh, um, in MLB uh, uh, video games, basically. Uh, so he kind of is sentimental in that sense. I got to go with Vladimir Guerrero at right field. Uh, you're talking about a player with, you know, just as an explosive arm as like an Ichiro, right? I think there's been some of those epic, uh, you know, throw montages that he's had, like throwing players out at home plate, like from the warning track, like unheard of type of arm strength there. And on top of that, like the no gloves, like the no gloves, and like winning an MVP, knocking like 30 homers on and driving in a hundred RBIs on a consistent basis. Like Vladimir Guerrero, I think, you know, one of the best, you know, careers you can possibly have, I feel like. Uh, and, you know, average, I think, uh, 100, yeah, over over the course of uh, his career, uh, yeah, average like 34 homers and 113 RBIs for 162 game span. Uh, yeah, and, and had a career OPS of 931. So, you know, can slug it, had the Masika, the no gloves, gold glove type of uh, player as well. So, yeah, had to go with Vladimir Guerrero. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong. I feel like he was another guy who, because of injuries, maybe didn't have the level or caliber of counting stats that would elevate his name a little bit more than it maybe is in today's ranks and stuff for all-time outfielders. But it's kind of funny. I actually went to a, a Cubs game when I was in the, you know growing up in the 90s. I think I was 10 or 11 years old, and Vladdy was still on the Montreal Expos, and Sammy Sosa was in the height of his, uh, you know, home run, you know, run at that point. And for some reason we got second row seats. I mean, it wasn't, uh, that I normally got, you know, that close to the field, but for whatever reason we got tickets through, I think our babysitter at the time got a second row seats to the Cubs game, got to watch Sosa and, uh, Guerrero, but more importantly, uh, the umpire, uh, Joe Crawford at that time was taking his breaks between innings and drinking water and, this and that and just kind of like hanging out by the, you know, the brick, uh, um, you know, backstop and everything like that. And I remember we, my brother and I were both talking to him throughout the games. We were just so curious about baseball. And I asked him, you know, who do you think is the best baseball player, you know, 
on the field right now. And he, you know, I thought the answer would be like, oh, it's Sammy Sosa for sure. But he's like, you know what? That kid out there, Vlad- Vladimir Guerrero, I mean, I think he's going to be one of the best players to ever play the game. And I was like, kind of, you know, I, I knew Vladdy and I was very in tune with like stats growing up because I read the paper. But I was like, man, that is a bold take. Like this guy is looking at Sammy Sosa. He's looking at Vladdy Guerrero and he's able to like push the MVP aside and the guy who was like chasing the streak that year and say, you know, that kid out in right field is like special. And I don't know, man, that's just always stuck, you know, stuck with me with, with Vladdy. And uh, obviously, man, like the best bad ball hitter of all time, like that guy didn't take a lot of uh, pitches. He didn't walk a lot, but man, his batting average was always, you know, above 300. And I think his OP, OBP was kind of similar to his batting average or whatever, because this guy would just never take a walk, but he didn't have to, man. He was just, you know, one of the best uh, free swingers that ever uh, played the game for sure. Yeah, no, I got, I got to appreciate that. And yeah, one of the best, uh, his hand, hand or bat to eye or whatever uh, coordination, unheard of for sure. Uh, so yeah, but who do you got next uh, in your lineup here? Yeah, man, this one, this one might come off as a very bold take. Um, but seriously, uh, it's a current player and somebody that I think, you know, he could play outfield. He's played a lot of second base this year. Um, he is 30 years old and he's got a 62 war at this point. Um, by comparison, Bryce Harper is the same age and has a 44 war. Um, unbelievable athlete. He might be a better bowler than he is an actual baseball player. They say that he's hit 300 a bunch of times, but like this guy is just a complete like Steph Curry type level uh, hand-eye coordination guy. Um, somebody with way more power than his body suggests. Um, he's won an MVP. He's a seven-time All-Star. He's won two World Series, five Silver Sluggers, a batting title. He's got 166 stolen bases and 244 home runs. I mean, if this guy can play even seven, eight more seasons, I mean, he could be a 400-400 guy. And again, just just a pure baseball player, beer, you know, pure hitter in, in a lot of senses. But I'm going to go with uh, my guy Marcus Lynn Betts uh, out of the Los Angeles, who. I don't know, man. Mookie Betts, I've always just like appreciated his game so much. And, you know, he's calm, he's consistent, he's not flashy, even though, you know, he might have a, 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 you know, big chain on here and there and stuff, but he just plays with so much grace and to watch his power is just like, it's impressive. He's just very good at his body control and keeping his weight back when he hits, but man, he gets the most out of his swings and really a lot of players that I see in the game. So um, yeah, I think his career is like still on that rise and, you know, he's going to be a fixture in that Dodgers lineup, which, you know, with Freeman behind him and obviously boatloads of talent and money to boot. Like, I think he'll always just be well-surrounded and that'll really help his counting stats as he kind of finishes out his career. Yeah. I mean, it definitely helps to be part of, you know, great teams, right? You talk about that Red Sox team where I think he won a championship with, right? Uh, and then also, yeah, the Dodgers right now, like two great organizations, they're going to have payroll to, you know, fun for players to, for him to drive in runs, but then also for him to score runs too. And yeah, he's not the biggest player uh, around, but, you know, he definitely plays, uh, you know, uh, above, I guess, his physical stature there. And yes, great bowler too. I've seen those, uh, the YouTube videos on that. So um, yeah, just one of the best all round kind of players out there and yeah, has the championship award pedigree, I think. And 
yeah, we'll definitely, I think at, at this stage, just have a better overall career look wise with regards, you know, comparing him, him to Bryce Harper there. So yeah, I think that's a solid pick there. Um, and then I think moving on with me, then I'm looking at, I'm going to go first base here. I feel like, you know, uh, one of the best white Sox players ever, uh, Frank Thomas got to go with him here. Um, you know, he, he was definitely a serviceable, uh, first baseman defensive wise, but you know, you can't knock him on his hitting, right? Uh, great walk rate, <laughs> great walk, right? Walk rate. Uh, didn't, doesn't strike out as much as like compared to, you know, like the Adam Duns of the world. Right. So, you know, has always been great at, you know, batting average and hitting for average while also uh, kind of complementing that with the power. You're talking about a guy that nobody questioned with regards to utilizing steroids or PEDs just because he's always been so big, you know, he played football as well. So like he has always had that stature, but then with that stature was able to develop his, his tool set. Uh, and be cerebral about baseball and just also like just one of, you know, has always been known as one of the good guys of baseball overall. So yeah, I had to go with Frank Thomas here. Uh, yeah, kind of, you know, uh, he, he did win that world series ring with the, the old five white Sox though. Didn't really participate, but you know, at the same time, like definitely loved his career too. What he was able to do, uh, both at, you know, kind of extending his career as a DH, right. Uh, you know, in Oakland, uh, I think Toronto as well. So, but yeah, got to go with Frank Thomas here. Yeah. I, uh, I still remember that obviously the world series and never forget it. And the fact that he wasn't a part of the team, like how disappointing, how sad I felt for Frank. Cause he was everything to me in the nineties, like watching white Sox baseball and really getting into it, um, on the South side and man, just a, just a great, um, you know, leader, a great ambassador now for the for the White Sox across you know all the coverage he does for MLB um but man that first game he came back to uh the cell and he was in uh you know that that Oakland A's jersey and that first game I think he hit two bombs against us and maybe his first two at bats or something and it was just I think the whole uh I think the whole like audience the whole crowd was just like a standing o for the guy and like just just, you know, just really gave him the praise he's always deserved. And, you know, I know there was a lot of contention between him and, like, the White Sox brass throughout the early 2000s and stuff on his contract and, like, you know, what he deserved and what his legacy is with the team and, you know, how much they, they wanted him and, you know, kind of, you know, for, you know, kind of the lack thereof uh, on his way out. And I kind of felt like that was a sour way to end such an amazing run with the White Sox. But I think that happens with a lot of guys, a lot of teams. And, uh, you know, I think Frank still you know, represents the White Sox uh, in what he does. And he'll always be like my favorite White Sox, I think, uh, you know, barring a couple of fun characters over the years. Yeah, I know for sure. It's definitely, I think it's nice that the White Sox have kind of carried, like they've always, it always seems like they've had a good first baseman, uh, like since like the Frank Thomas years with, you know, Canerica and Jose Abreu and such. So, and hopefully now like Andrew Vaughn. So uh, definitely appreciate uh, Frank Thomas. Everything's being able to contribute. And yeah, is has always been kind of a good guy uh, in baseball too. So, um, but yeah, who do you uh, got next here? Well, I'm looking at what's left of my my needs here. Um, I haven't gotten into my pen yet. I haven't gotten that that serious about <laughs> it just yet. Um, but I think I still need to fill out my rotation a little bit. You're 
you're obviously uh, chasing me here. So are you you know you got a good lead there, and you're I don't want you gobbling up the rest of the good guys. So, <laughs> man, this one. This one for me is tough because I am like I'm looking at a lot of guys I think are in the same tier or same caliber of starting pitcher, but they're all horses. Um, but if I have to take one, he's going to be a little controversial here. Um, I think he pairs really well with Randy Johnson because they you know did that in Arizona with the Diamondbacks when they won the World Series, and then thereafter he won a couple with the Red Sox. I mean I think everybody remembers the Bloody Sock. Um, Man, this guy is just complete gamer. I mean, his stats, like, they match up with some of the other guys in this tier, but I just think, like, based on his heart and his desire, his leadership, and, like, his intimidation factor, Kurt Schilling, to me, like, he's on my team as of this, uh, you know, this moment, but, man, I don't know. If it's if it's apart from, like, just his political views and his, his you know, his commentary that's kept him out of the Hall of Fame now, I mean... There's no way you can look at his stats and not say he's, you know, on the same shelf as some of his other guys that have gotten in at this point. So, um, you know, 216 career wins, a 346 ERA, um, 17th all-time in strikeouts. I mean, a bunch of MVPs when it mattered most in the playoffs. I mean, I he's an easy, uh, an easy uh, rotation fixture for me uh, at that spot. Yeah, he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's, you know... It doesn't make sense for him not to be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Like, there's definitely been a lot. Of, I think the, the whole thing is that he's just been more outspoken in this day and age of, you know, saying things and everybody kind of freaking out on stuff. So, um, I get all that, but at the same time, like, he did an awesome job at baseball. And are, are, are we going to equivocate like what he's saying in terms of his political beliefs to kind of like what Barry Bonds has been doing, you know, with PEDs and such? And like, this is definitely where it gets, you know, very. Uh, kind of in a gray area with regards to this, but I just don't see it that way. Like, so I feel like, yeah, Schilling, big game pitcher, you know, 11 wins, two losses in the postseason there, uh, like a 2.2 ERA. And then on top of that, had, you know, one some of the best control you've ever seen with regards to any type of power pitcher specifically, you know, got 300 strikeouts a bunch of times as well. So it's like, he's got the numbers to prove it. Uh, both got the postseason success as well. Uh, you know, I don't think he won a Cy Young just because he had Randy Johnson as teammate so for several years, and that was some of his best years too. But yeah, it's just it's just unfortunate. So I I think that's an excellent pick there. Yeah, but I will say now that you pick your your pitcher, I gotta stay one step ahead here, and there's a pitcher <laughs> who is currently pitching right now, uh, has an MVP under his belt. Uh, is married to a supermodel. Uh, I got to go with Justin Verlander here. Uh, you're talking about nice. ca- kind of something, you know, similar, uh, like has the regular season success as maybe a Kurt Schilling and then, you know, has had some, you know, ups and downs with the postseason overall, but did win the chip and then was uh, a key contributor, I think, with regards to the rotation there. They, they're bringing him back. The, the Ashes are bringing him back for another run here, but... Man, you gotta love Justin Verlander. What he's been able to bring to the game, uh, being so cons- you know pretty consistent. I think throughout his career, had you know, a couple of down seasons. I think you know when he was like approaching his thirties, but since then has really bounced back. You know, won a Cy Young, I think just a couple of years ago, and then now you know kind of as he's approaching you know forty years of age, you look at what he's been able to accomplish. Uh, you know, whether it be the World Series runs with the Tigers 
or you know what he's been able to do now with the Astros. Like, there's not many players I think in this generation that can get the accolades as well as the supermodel wife. I feel like so. Justin Verlander, I uh, had to pick him here. Especially the supermodel wife. I mean, that is a uh, that's a Hall of Fame type, <laughs> you know, data point there. Uh, especially <laughs> one of, of her uh, her ilk. But uh, no, I agree, man. Getting an MVP or as a starting pitcher, like so hard to do. Um, I'd have to go back and look at who his main competition was that year. But I felt like it was a player that you know, I think the other finalists were like well-rounded baseball players, but maybe just didn't have enough home runs, RBIs, or weren't on the right you know playoff team to really have a good case for themselves that year. I'd, lo- I'd love to hear if you see it, you know, shout it out. But uh, no, I mean, seriously, especially in those these last like five years too, I think he's really separated himself from being like a guy who had a good stretch in the 2010s to now an all-time great, you know, because he's added those extra Cy Youngs. He's won that World Series. Um, you know, he, he's pitching at an elite level going into his 40s. I mean, that's kind of unheard of in a lot of senses. So yeah, he's really started to make his resume, you know, better and better as like one of the, you know, all-time top 20 best starting pitchers of all time or however you want to categorize it. He's he's right up there with, with a lot of the guys. Yeah, no. Uh, and yeah, you talk about that MVP season. Uh, it was back in 2011 here. Uh, I have the stats here, but... Yeah, so he won 24 games, which I think was like the highest. It's it's probably never going to be touched again. Like just in you know today's day and age, had a you know 2.4 ERA, uh, 251 innings. Like <laughs> this is unheard of stuff. Uh, and then 250 strikeouts was pretty efficient there. But yeah, it was going against Jacoby Ellsbury. Looks like uh, Jose Batista, Curtis Granderson, uh, Miguel Cabrera. Um, but if you look at war that season, uh, I think he had the highest, you know, uh, had a 8.6 war uh, compared to it was like Jacoby Ellsbury had an 8.3. Batista had an 8.3 as well. You know, both those players, you know, kind of like your, you know, Benny 300 ish OPS, like over 900. Jose Batista had one uh, over a thousand. Uh, so, you know, great seasons overall. But yeah, it's hard to, you know, kind of compare that with. 24 wins a 2.4 ERA over 250 innings pitched as well. So, um, yeah, one, you know, we could definitely debate, I guess, between like, does a pitcher really deserve an MVP? Like, isn't that what the Cy Young's for? Whatever. But yeah, he definitely, I think kind of was the MVP if you want to look at it from like value standpoint. So, but yeah. Cool. For sure. Um, yeah, so I guess moving on to my next pick, um, we only got a few offensive spots left to go here on, on filling those in. So I'm going to go over to the pitching side of things, try to grab another starting pitcher that I think is worth noting here. Um, go with Tom Glavin. Um, you know, I think overall 300-plus wins, a 350 lifetime ERA, two Cy Young Awards, a World Series in 95, and he was the MVP for the series itself. Um 56 complete games. I know we talked about guys in the hundreds in that sense, but like Maddox, he was also just like, just very crafty. Uh, always like, you know, kind of eliminated hard contact. I mean, I feel like he was just so stable. He was always like that stabilizing, you know, number one, number two in the rotation, especially for the nineties Braves, which, you know, may be one of the greatest teams across the decade of all time. Um, yeah, I mean, not to mention he had four Silver Slugger awards. So, I mean, I know there was that 
classic commercial of, uh, you know, chick stick the long ball and uh, Maddox and Glavin kind of being like a punchline in that. But in all sincerity, both those guys were really great hitters. And, you know, Tom Glavin was, I mean, I'd love to know what his um, all-time batting average was. I should have looked that up. But no, I mean, I just think uh, when I talk about, when we talk about the Braves in that rotation, I mean, there's three guys there that I think like carried that thing for 10 or, you know, 10 years or so. And uh, man, all greats in their own right. And, you know, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer to boot. So. Yeah, Tom Glavin would be my my without Otani would be my fourth starting pitcher. Tom Glavin had a buck eighty six batting average. Well, you know, which hey, I, I guess that's okay. And then, but he career? did have a career best. <laughs> he did have he did have a career best though. Ninety six. He had a two eighty nine batting average actually, which is I mean that's pretty impressive Damn. for a pitcher. So yeah, <laughs> how many career home runs do you know? Well, I don't know. Doesn't say right here. Uh, it's not showing oh, okay. up uh, here yet, but yeah, no interesting picture overall. But I do remember that commercial with Maddox. Like, talk about the '90s, right? Whatever. Like, that was an awesome commercial with McGuire there, just hit, hitting all all those knockers. So, yeah, he has um, one career home run, so he got on the. Oh, board. I mean, hey, yeah, you pitched yeah. twenty. I mean, Bartolo <laughs> Cologne can hit over, right? <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm, hopefully, uh, Tommy Glavin can there. So, um. I guess moving on to uh, my uh, my next pick here. So, you know, uh, kind of like rounding up at least my um, uh, my position players here. I have left field open here, uh, and I really wanted to be like, all right, this player is a left fielder, and you know, uh, for sure. So, I was debating between I guess two players: one more the modern day age, and another player that uh, kind of came from the '90s and then 2000s as well. So. Uh, but I got to go with, I'm going to go with the old school guy, uh, on, on this front. So I'm going to go with, uh, Manny, Manny Ramirez, Manny yeah. being Manny, man, you know, you talk all, all the, all the showy stuff, all the, you know, his little fun things, uh, you know, that's all, that's all fun and, and everything. But at the end of the day, this guy can hit, right? I think that's the key thing, whether it be. When he was with you know the Cleveland team or with the Red Sox, right? Uh, he also was a very clutch uh, individual as well. So you know, I definitely had to go Manny here, left field. Him, you know, with the monster, that was always a kind of a fun little thing over there for the Boston Red Sox there. So you know, we're talking about yeah, again, one of the best hitters overall. Somewhere, I guess, uh, you know, Statlander maybe to like a, a Frank Thomas and that he can hit, be able to hit for average as well as power. And you know, get on base in general. So, yeah, Manny uh, also had a stint with the White Sox too. Uh, yeah, Ramirez got to have him. My left fielder here, dude. Excellent pick, and we all know the Boston run that he had, the era that he had there uh, in Beantown, you know, all the antics, but all the big shots as well. I feel like when I think about Manny Ramirez, the funny thing is I always see him in the Cleveland Indians uh, jersey at the start of his career and just how athletic he was as a right fielder. Um, he actually, you know, gained a lot of weight, I think, moving his way into Boston. Um, whereas, like, when he was younger, I mean, just incredible opposite field power. That whole lineup was just so dangerous with, you know, Tomey and... You know, you had Robbie, you had Omar, Kenny Lofton at times, Marquise Grissom when they made that trade. Uh, Matt Williams came over at a certain point. It was Sandy Al. Or it was just like 
you know, there's so many greats from the nineties in that lineup. And I think Manny, maybe during the 97 world series, maybe the 95 world series is batting like sixth or seventh in that lineup. So it's kind of like, you know, you just go back and watch like those highlights and stuff. Like it was just cool to see him progress throughout his career. And like, again, perennially a 30 home run hundred RBI type guy with a really high average and on base, you know, percentage as well. And, uh, Man, seriously, one of my favorite players, like there might be some steroid allegation stuff that's kind of floated over his head, you know, at the tail end of his career, especially. But it's not how I really think about him. I don't know if he was really on that stuff in the, you know, the meat of his career. But uh, yeah, in general, uh, just a just a great hitter. Yeah, great hitter overall. I think that's what you think about him there. So, yeah. Um, who do you got next uh, for your pick? Yeah, um, I think I need to round out my rotation here because I feel like if I don't, I'm going to regret it with the <laughs> cliff that I see coming uh, past the guys that I personally prefer. But um, I'm going to go with a guy who, like Verlander in this era, um, just a complete like ace, you know, wipeout type right-handed pitcher. I mean, they, they really do model themselves after each other a lot. Uh, they've played on a couple teams together, including the New York Mets. Uh, I think you know where I'm going with this one. Um, I'm going to take Max Scherzer. Um, he's chasing Verlander a little bit in the war category, um, but has a better lifetime ERA than him. They both have the same amount of Cy Youngs. Uh, they both, you know, have won a World Series at the very least. Max is 12th all-time in Ks. Um, and just in general, uh, I've had a chance to watch him pitch a bunch uh, living out here in D.C., and I actually got to go to his 20 strikeout game, and it was really awesome, man. I, I, To be honest with you, it was so funny. I was at the game, and I remember I had him on my fantasy team that year, and I was with a buddy, and we were just chatting you know, a lot of the game. So I wasn't really like paying a lot of attention, but I essentially looked down and checked my fantasy you know, uh, team for the day, and I, I, I looked down and I saw... He's through five innings and he's got 12 strikeouts. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, his pitch count's kind of, kind of low at this point too. Like he could, he could maybe go the distance here. Then I, I guess started looking up like the all time, you know, most K's in a game. And I think, you know, to this day, everybody is tied for 20. I think there's five guys that are tied for 20. I think it's Randy Johnson, Kerry Wood. Um, you know, there's one other and I'll, I'll have to kind of, think about it or maybe it's roger clemens but um anyways i was sitting at the game and i'm like man this guy could possibly like join that 20k club in this game and you know sure enough like the innings were going by he'd have two strikeouts two strikeouts two strikeouts and you know we get to the ninth inning and he's got two batters left with 19ks to go or you know 19ks and two outs left and he gets the next k with the second to last batter and it moves into this final batter. So everybody's just like on their, you know, on their feet or whatever, just like wanting this last K. And I believe the guy grounded out to third base or something. And everybody just like had this huge gasp. But like in the same sense, like him hitting the 20 K mark in that game was like, you know, kind of out of body. But uh, man, just watching him in that World Series run and just you think about Max Scherzer over his career, like he started off kind of a just a pure flamethrower, um, kind of in the middle in terms of like wins and, wins and losses in the ERA. But once he came to Washington, like completely changed, you know, his narrative. I know he had one really strong year in Detroit at the very least, but man, just became that perennial ace and, you know, glad to, glad to add him to my team. 
Yeah. How about having Scherzer and Verlander on the same team, right, during their prime? Like, that that was what the Detroit Tigers were. That's obviously why they went to the World Series, uh, you know, a couple times there. So uh, you're talking about two players that can get innings, can get wins, but then also strike out a bunch of players. So uh, Scherzer definitely... You know, still in the, in the, you know, it is kind of sad that they, you know, departed a ways uh, with the Mets there a little bit, right? The little bromance kind of didn't end too well, but hey, you know, I think they're they're both uh, going joining, you know, two Texas teams there. Maybe they'll see each other, but yeah, I think Scherzer definitely is a top player for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, and then for me, moving on here, you know, I guess. You know, debate, de- guess debating whether I want to take my, you know, kind of a DH person right now, or do I want to take a pitcher? Ah, I'm gonna go. You know what? I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go pitcher here in this case, rounding up my own rotation. Uh, one of my favorite players. Uh, he has pitched a couple. You know, a, a perfect game. He has pitched a no hitter has pitched a no-hitter in the playoffs, which is, you know, nuts. Uh, sadly, he's passed away and such, but at the same time, like, you can't knock his contributions to the game. Has always been known as a classy guy. Uh, one of the most efficient pitchers, too, uh, Roy Halladay. You got to give Roy Halladay his props here. Uh, you know, I think he came, like, maybe the season before, uh, like, one of my favorite players, Mark Burley, as well. <laughs> and I was like, man... He's kind of is like our Mark Burley in a way, you know. So just an efficient pitcher, uh, you know. Him getting that uh, during that uh, the playoff run with the Phillies, right, was amazing. Um, but you know, multiple Cy Young winner, uh, a guy that has gotten you know 250 innings plus, right, multiple times, uh, can strike out a bunch of players too. You know, struggled earlier in his career, I think, as well. Uh, and then was able to be like, you know what? I want to add this sinker baller in here. Maybe maybe I just, you know, it's, I ought to stop throwing just hard and put a little bit of movement in there. And really that changed his career and has adapted over time. Like, you know, added in uh, kind of a split change in there as well as opposed to just relying, I think, on that curve ball as a breaking ball and also had that cutter. So overall just had a complete tool set with regards to pitching. And yeah, I was able just to get players out and, yeah, I was able to win a bunch of games too. So Roy Halladay, yeah, running out my rotation. Yeah, um, I think that's a great pick. Obviously, Hall of Famer passed away. Um, one video that I actually watched fairly recently was talking to former MLB players that were on the MLB Network uh, analyst crew and then speaking about the most dangerous pitchers they've ever faced. And Randy, Pedro, they were both selected, but I believe it was Carlos Pena was talking about how hard it was to hit off Roy Halladay because essentially the guy had six pitches he had, you know, command of. And he said what it, he used to call him the spider because essentially the ball would come and all he could think about was that ball spraying in six different directions. And essentially like, you know, he just had that location, the break in, the break out, you know, he had stuff that could go up, go down and, um, it's pretty incredible, you know, like just to get that kind of praise from, you know, players that have faced probably all the greats in the game for this era that we're talking about. And, uh, you know, you may look down at his stats and be like, you know, the counting stats aren't 
you know, at the heights of like a Maddox or a Clemens and stuff. But you think about certain runs that Halliday had with Toronto and Philly, um, like near unhittable type type of pitcher and, uh, you know, seven, I think, Ks per nine for his career. But like, it didn't matter. Like same with Maddox, he had the six Ks per nine, but it's like, it doesn't matter. Like if these guys can get outs and induce weak contact and, you know, kind of avoid the the danger spots and the strike zone for hitters, like, Man, some guys just get away with it. Um, very much a finesse type pitcher, and yeah, one of the all time greats. Yeah, yeah, definitely ate up the innings. Got a bunch of complete games, uh, and yeah, had a three point three ERA at the end of his career for that. Which I mean, for all the innings he's pitched, like that's pretty damn effective. And then yeah, talk about the no hitters, perfect game as such. No hitters during prime time, like that's as good of a pitcher I think as you can ask for there. So. All right. Um, at this point, I've got a couple holes left in my lineup. Um, I'm okay with waiting a little bit on one position, but I think I'm just going to grab the guy that I think is best available um, really mm-hmm. across any of my sheets. And, you know, he did play a good portion of his career throughout the 80s. Um he also was still in his prime throughout the 90s, I'd say, you know, through 97, 98. Um, this man confirmed that he drank 73 beers on one flight. I mean, if that alone doesn't put him on one of our rosters, I don't know what will. But uh, Hall of Famer, 3,000-plus hits, 12-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glover, five-time batting titles, a 415 career OBP, a 328 career average. Um, Wade... Boggs is joining my team. Um, I know I've got Ripken and Jeter on the left side, but I'm gonna find I'm gonna find some room for Wade to have an everyday spot, either at third or you know, perhaps at DH some days. But uh man, for clubhouse reasons, a guy who can drink 73 beers in one flight, like <laughs> he's just such a good guy to have in your clubhouse. So Wade Boggs, welcome to the squad. Yeah. And yeah, like, well, you know, how many players can you think of that made that transition from like Red Sox to, you know, Yankee and all that, right? I feel like, you know, and still be kind of generally liked, I feel like. So yeah, uh, Wade Boggs, definitely one of the most interesting kind of players too. you know, uh, a hitter's hitter, I think, right? Not, not as much of a slugger, but uh, at the same time, like you look at his batting average overall. Yeah, you got you got to be impressed with that. So yeah. Um, and then I guess moving on to my roster here, uh, I am debated, have been kind of debating what I want out of a DH. Um, there's two players I've been going back and forth on and it's been driving me nuts, but I'm going to go with the showstopper. I'm going to go with the most clutch hitter in postseason baseball history. Big poppy. I'm bringing in David Ortiz to the house here. You know, like you're, you're I, talking I about. Cheater, though. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta bring. Yeah, yeah. I got. I'll, I'll bring the Red Sox version of this here. So I mean, talk about yeah the okay. prime baseball during that time, right? With you know the Boston Red Sox and the Yankees. Like that was that was good uh, old fashioned baseball right there. With you know all this bad blood between both those two, two teams there. So. But yeah, David Ortiz, Hall of, Flam- Hall of Famer, uh, you know, didn't do too much when he was, you know, with the Minnesota Twins. But when he c- came to the Red Sox, it was a match made in heaven, and you know, really kind of institutional 
institutionalize himself at the DH spot there. Uh, and yeah, had, had a Hall of Fame career and some of the most magical moments in postseason history. So I think, yeah, with Ortiz, you know, A-Rod, Chipper, you know, Frank Thomas here, I'm like, Ken Griffey, I'm excited about all of this here. So yeah, get some lefty in that, in that lineup here. So yeah, David Ortiz. Yeah, it's a good thing I got Kershaw, uh, Randy Johnson, and Glavin to try to, you know, <laughs> the lefty-lefty matchup so far with guys like that, uh, especially Ortiz. But, man, yeah, that 2004 uh, title, um, that whole run was so impressive. And, obviously, like, he really got them out of the hole. I know he had a walk-off homer in, in one of those games uh, to kind of keep them in, you know, keep him in it in the ALCS to get him to the final, um, you know, uh, four games against, I believe it was St. Louis that year. But, you know, beyond that, the two extra titles he threw on top of that and just, yeah, year in, year out, putting up the 30, um, you know, 100 type numbers. And I had him actually in his final season for fantasy. And it was honestly a flyer. I think I got him like toward the end of the draft. And I didn't really, I didn't really expect like a ton. I was like, okay, maybe 20 homers, 80 RBIs. I can like maybe carry him the whole season and stuff. And like he ended up in his final season, maybe you have the stat line in front of you, but like, 30 for a hundred with like a 300 average or something. I think he ended up like, you know, in the top five of the MVP voting that year in the AL. It's just like, dude, thank you so much for like, I think he like got me uh, my, like my first fantasy title, I think in that league. So I was like, thank you so much, big Bobby. But uh, yeah, man, his, uh, his aura, you know, stands up there with Jeter and, you know, all the Yankee greats and stuff and all the Boston greats really that, that were a part of those teams. Yeah, no, like, yeah, his last season, I do have the stat line here, uh, 38 homers, 127 RBIs, uh, batted, you know, 315, uh, OPS, uh, 10-21. So it's like, why'd you retire, bro? Like, he could have kept on going. I'm just looking at the stat line here. But, yeah, love, love me some big poppy. Uh, you know, uh, can definitely talk about the other players I was, t- I was thinking about with regards to what I want in this position, but I'll say that for uh, a later time here, but yeah, got to give my props to big poppy here. So, uh, but yeah, moving on then, I guess, who do you got next for your pick? Oh man. All right. So we're getting down toward the, toward the end here somewhat. Um, looking at filling out the rest of my team. And this one's tough, dude. This one's really tough because there's a lot of a lot of players to fill one more bench spot for me on the offensive side, and then I need a catcher, and that's basically it. Besides uh, my relief staff, so uh, why don't I just go ahead and take who I think is the best reliever at this point, besides the guy you got, which is kind of crazy when you think about the numbers that. Rivera had twice the war as any other relief pitcher. Uh, and we're talking about the greats among all the relievers that I've ever, you know, played with in this era. It's just, it's just kind of unbelievable. Number one to acknowledge that, but beyond that, um, you know, this guy's not yet in uh, the hall of fame and I really don't understand why he's not. I think it's kind of a huge, uh, you know, shaft for him because legitimately he is got, pound for pound, some of the best numbers here. I mean, 231 career ERA, 422 saves, which puts him six all time. Um, he's a seven-time all-star. 
his ERA plus is 187, um, which if you look at everyone else besides Rivera is number two. Um, he's a lefty and was a flamethrower in his own right. So I think that'd be a good guy to add to my bullpen just to kind of, you know, make sure I have a southpaw to go to when we're in, you know, tough jams and stuff against some of your hitters. So I'm gonna go with uh, Billy Wagner, uh, who played, you know, the majority of his career in Houston and honestly was, was really just lights out through and through. Um, he didn't have as many of like the postseason appearances and opportunities to make runs for world series during his time with Houston, but Man, yeah, just when I think about the name and what he what he was throughout, you know, my childhood upbringing stuff with baseball, like he was always a kind of a lights out type of reliever. Yeah, Billy Wagner, uh, one of the most interesting players. Uh, I, I think if I remember the backstory, because I I was really intrigued by Billy Wagner too, and yes, he definitely devo- uh, belongs in the Hall of Fame. But I believe he was like a positional player at first, if I got the story right. I'm just doing it off the top of my head here. But I believe he was a positional player. Uh, he's right-handed. Like, he's right-handed. He throws left. He throws left. He's right-handed. I believe he had, like, surgery on his right arm, so the doctor said he can't throw with your right arm. So he's like, okay, I'm just going to throw with my left arm. And he throws, like, 100. <laughs> like, the most insane thing possible, like, I can barely, I don't know, uh, write if I were to try to write with my left hand or, you know, pick up uh, this cup right here with my left hand. Like, I struggle with that, I feel like. Uh, But Billy Wagner can throw 100 with his off hand. Like, that's how ridiculous that is. So, uh, yeah, Billy Wagner, man, like, deserves to be a Hall of Fame. You know, one of the best uh, closers, you know, of all time. So, and... Just lights out stuff too. That slider, oh, it's gives people nightmares. Yeah. Um, and then I guess you know, rounding off my little squad here a little bit. You know, I could definitely go bench. Uh, I can definitely go the relief route here, but I think I'm gonna try to bring off. I'm going to try to put another bat in, into uh, the bench here. Uh, and then also maybe a player that also presents some little, a little bit of speed or a little bit more hitting, a little bit more finesse here. Um, I'm going to take, you know, one of the most interesting players out there, uh, Hall of Famer, uh, Mr. Padre himself. Tony Gwynn. Uh, <laughs> 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 <You> know, <laughs> I got you there. Sounds like yeah, so. Man, that, was, that was like one of my sleepers, man. I thought you wouldn't. Okay. Thought you weren't gonna go there, but oh no, I was eyeing. Right. I was I was eyeing him. Yeah, eight time, eight time, eight time batting title. Left left handed hitter. Uh, five time Gold Glove. Fifteen time All Star. Seven time. You know, silver slugger, a three thirty eight batting average. Like that's just nuts. You know, uh, like it'd be awesome if you know players dream of having a season where they hit three thirty eight. This guy had it for an entire career, right? So, um, no, it's just unbelievable what he's been able to do with the bat. You know, there's been so many stories about him of like, uh, his, I think his like stats versus like a bunch of Hall of Fame pitchers like that. Atlanta Braves uh, uh, pitching lineup. I think he bats like 400 or I, I think he's got struck out like once, I think, right? 
something ridiculous. Three eighty one uh, between... and three. So I got the stat because I wanted to bring it up when I picked it. <laughs> three eighty one against Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and John Smoltz combined, and three oh. strikeouts. Yeah, like, dude, that's... come on. That's nuts. Like unheard of set, like one of a kind kind of player, especially in the modern day, you know, baseball, uh, where he played, you know, in the eighties, retired at two thousand one, but you know, batted three hundred, you know, throughout his entire career, high three hundreds, like talking about three fifties, three seventies, etc. So, you know, he definitely flirted with uh four hundred for a little bit. I think that was like the the strike season there. So, but yeah, like. As good of a player, good of as a person uh, as you know, I think you, you can describe with regards to an overall like baseball player. Even he loves baseball so much. You know, a lot of players they you know play baseball and such, and then just retire into the sunset. No, he coached because he, that's what he he just loves baseball. So he coached and even had his son even come into the to the majors too. So yeah, Tony Gwynn. I think it's a great bat to bring off off the bench here. And that might just be like the the snipe of the whole draft because like that one just hits my heart man i was like so ready to talk about gwen and i love baseball players that are pure hitters that you know just control the game i mean he he controlled his game like nobody controlled tony gwen and you know is he an ichiro type that maybe could have you know, push for 30 home runs if he, you know, really dedicated himself to more of the power elements of his game. Like maybe, because I think, you know, some years he was in the double digits and stuff in home runs, but man, if you just have that kind of stroke and that kind of command of a strike zone, like just play to your strengths and be a hall of famer for being like one of the best hitters ever step on the field. So, you know, besides Ted Williams, when we talk about all time, great hitters, like he's right in that mix. Yeah, but one yeah, best pure hitter I think of yeah this uh you know these these players we're talking about here I would say so yeah yeah no I think that's fair all right well my heartstrings have just completely been pulled on and that was going to be my final bench piece but um, I'm just going to go ahead and make sure I secure my catcher at this point. Um, I debated between two guys, um, but it, it ultimately came down to the to the one who has the most career home runs at the position, um, 427 all-time. He's got a 308 batting average, over 2,000 hits. Uh, Hall of Famer, Rookie of the Year, 12-time All-Star, 10-time Silver Slugger, and I believe one of the higher war marks for any catcher that was on the board. So um, Mike Piazza. Uh, come on down. You're going to be the starting catcher of our team. I think the one thing that held your war score back and maybe the fact that you weren't drafted as the first catcher in this draft was your defensive uh, liabilities. I think it was, you know, heavily documented throughout his time throughout the 90s that he was not a very good defensive catcher. I think folks ran on him all day, every day, but he was always on an L team. So in a lot of ways, like there was nowhere else for him to play. So catcher it was and uh man with his bat he definitely made up for for a lot of probably his uh his uh issues behind the dish but yeah man throughout our time i think watching baseball throughout the 90s i mean always batted three or four i don't think there were a lot of catchers maybe minus a pudge where you were like yeah this guy may be the best hitter on this team or maybe the best hitter in this game or you know in his division so um mike was always a part of that and it's always funny like 
just to hear like coming up from the Dodgers I think his dad was like really good friends with Tommy Lasorda. Um, I can't remember whether or not he was affiliated with the Dodgers organization, but basically it was like, yeah, hey, can you just give my, my son a flyer, you know, give him a tryout. And you know, I think they spent like a very low, low draft pick on him and stuff. And man, just to see what he became is, is pretty incredible. So um, shout out Mike Piazza. I hope you're, brain is okay from the Clemens uh beanball that you took back in the early 2000s but uh yeah besides that man I haven't heard seen or heard a lot of Mike Piazza since then but yeah he'll be starting uh for me at catcher yeah well it's interesting it's like you know you, you talk about uh you know the the whole idea about a catcher now uh and the idea of stolen bases, right? Like the art of the stolen bases is long gone. You know, you're not, we're not, we're not going to have Ricky Henderson's out here these days anymore. So, uh, I do wonder, it's like, would Mike Piazza have been okay? I don't know what his like frame stats or anything like that. Or, you know, uh, if he's, uh, how good he was at the actual catching positions, not necessarily the throwing parts, but you know, uh, I do wonder if like he would, his value would have been a little bit higher just because people aren't stealing as many bases. I think that's just like one school of thought, but yeah, that's, that is like the main reason why I do believe I, you know, Pudge Rodriguez was just a better overall player. Uh, you know, maybe not the slugger that Mike Piazza was, but man, the defensive side night and day, night and day with regards to a player, you know, Pudge, he can definitely hold, hold, uh, runners on base. Whereas Piazza, yeah, it was like, Oh, what else can you do? All right, let's see if you're a DH or, uh, you know, maybe first baseman. He played a little bit too. So, but yeah, uh, Piazza though, got, got to love those Mets uh, teams there. Yeah. Cool. Uh, then I'm looking on, you know, I want to get, <laughs> I just realized I don't have a lefty, uh, I'm going to pitching rotation or hey. my bullpen at the moment. So you know what? I might as well get like one of the hardest throwing lefties uh, ever, uh, and still pitching. You know, uh, wasn't the best Yankee, but everywhere else he's gone, he's had like under three ERAs. You know, which I think is as much as you can ask for for you know a dominant bullpen uh, person. So I got to go with uh, Araldus Chapman here. Uh, you're talking about yeah again one of the hardest throwers ever. Uh, was you know a player that the Cubs were able to get to you know uh, uh, basically be their closer during those times. I, he did give up that home run, uh, you know, uh, I guess Cleveland there. But at the same time, you know, uh, hey, all is forgiven because they won. But you know, y how can you beat a guy that throws like 105? Like I don't know, <laughs> just a flash through your eyes. So for me, you know, I'd love to see him. Versus like a Barry Bonds, see if you can catch up to that heat and Barry Bonds' bat speed. Something like that would be amazing. But yeah, Araldus Chapman, got to go with them. He's at the Rangers now, killing it there. But yeah, man, got to love, uh, you know, uh, a hard throw like Araldus Chapman. Yeah, I mean, definitely on my short list here of relievers that I was planning to take, especially when you throw in the lefty element of it. There's a lot of... Uh, closers i think from the 90s on that were righties primarily um but also just the pure stuff that chapman brought to the game and just how much velocity he brought even you know the era that he played in i feel like nowadays seeing guys go above you know 100 as relievers some even starters in today's game it's not as uh it's not as like eyebrow raising but when he came in and you know was obviously hitting 104 105 and and things uh you know even um you know, 10 years ago at this point was like mind blowing. And 
you know, he was a great pitcher overall too. It wasn't just that, you know, he could throw really hard and this and that. There, there are guys like that today that, you know, struggle and they don't have good command and everything else like that. But, you know, his stats line up with a lot of these other closers that we have on our short list here. And I mean, I think your eyeballs just like pop when you see a guy like a Roldis versus uh, maybe some of the other closers that, you know, put up similar counting stats as him. Yeah. Cause yeah, he, he also has a, as ridiculous as his fastball is, he has a really sharp breaking slider too. And, you know, he uses that for mm-hmm. a strikeout pitch sometimes too. So yeah, uh, for all, you know, uh, this, this time at New York and he wasn't as successful, but everywhere else he's dominated. So maybe he's just not a New Yorker in that sense. So yeah. But yeah. Uh, who do you got next in uh, sure. your lineup here? So I've got that bench spot on offense, uh, a couple relievers here. I'm going to go with a guy that not only was a reliever and a really damn good one on the time that he did it, but was also an amazing starting pitcher as well. Um, You know, I think we talked about the first two guys as part of this trio. Um, I just want to round it off. He's going to be my my closer slash, you know, reserve starter swingman type, but could could see no one better than John Smoltz to fill that role. Um, You know, in... 2003, um, and I believe it was that early 2000 stint, I think it was three or four years, he cobbled, you know, 150 saves over that time. And in 2003, he had a 1.12 ERA as a closer um, in that in that spot. But, you know, he's won a relief award for the year, best reliever, 213 career wins with that 150 saves, a 3.33 career ERA. He's won a World Series, an NLCS MVP eight-time All-Star, a Cy Young Award winner, and a Hall of Famer. So uh, John Smoltz uh, will join my staff. I'll make sure not to use him against Tony Gwynn, but other than that, I feel like I'll throw him in most other situations. Yeah, John Smoltz, one of the most interesting careers, right? Like, had, uh, you know, probably the best, like, or was like the strikeout pitcher with that three-headed dragon there. Um, And then you know, suffered through some injuries uh, and then pivoted his career to be a relief pitcher. And one of the best relief pitchers, right? Got a bunch of saves, was a saves leader there, and then pivoted back to starting pitching. Like, that is that is nuts what he was able to do there, um, you know, later in his career. And, yeah, pitched well, you know, pitched into his 40s as well. So, yeah, got to love John, uh, John Smoltz. And he's also, you know, really good uh, baseball analyst too. So got to live, uh, John Smoltz's contributions to the game here. And then, and then I guess for me, you know, I think I'll go bench here since I already stole, uh, Tony Gwynn here, uh, for you, man, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I, uh, I was going to take this player instead of David Ortiz, but you know what? You can never have too much slugging, I feel like. So, with all that, I am going to take Jim Tomei. Uh, love Jim <laughs> Tomei. His hitting, what he was able to do, like his batting stance, like that was something I just mimicked and everything. Kind of looked like a lumberjack out there and just kind of golf those, uh, you know, the, the the baseball out there. And you know, you you talk about like. Uh, yeah, not just his batting stance, but his stats 
And then he's also like a good person. You know, I think I got a couple assholes on my lineup here. Uh, so I got, I feel like I got to balance it out by having like one of the best baseball dudes out there. Uh, you know, one of the, the, the premier slugger in my opinion, uh, from this era, I feel like, you know, uh, was a strikeout, uh, struck out a bunch, but at the same time walked a bunch, had an awesome, you know, on base percentage, drew a lot of walks, awesome OPS, uh, you know, 500 plus, uh, homers as well. I think got 600 actually. So, you know, his Homer ball is, 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 you know, thing of legends there. Uh, and then, yeah, I gotta love his, you know, uh, his bang stance kind of paying an homage right to, uh, the natural there. So yeah, Jim Tomei, uh, welcome to my team. Yeah, man, what, what am I going to say about that? I mean, I, I feel like he's, what, in the top 10 for all-time home runs? I mean, anywhere he went at any point of his career, if he was getting consistent at bats, he was putting up 30-plus bombs. And, yeah, it was really cool to see him hit, I believe it was the 600. I think he hit the 600 ball with the Twins, but I think his 500 home run ball mm-hmm. came with the White Sox, if, if you hadn't already said that. But I feel like it would have been cool if he was a part of the World Series squad because I feel like he's just such a – you know, down to earth type of guy would have been perfect for that clubhouse, but unfortunately he came over in that Aaron Rowan trade. And yeah, from there on out, I mean, we had a solid 2006. I think he helped us get to 90 wins at that point. And then it kind of just went downhill from there. And we never really, you know, got back to that mountaintop. I think we might've made a playoff appearance in 08, but yeah, I mean, he wasn't a big part of our postseason success as an organization. Uh, and that is to say we have very little overall, but, uh, yeah, man, uh, yeah, Jim Tomey, class act, amazing slugger. I mean, still, as an MLB network analyst, it's like just fun to watch and like hear him talk about hitting and you know break down guys' swings and stuff. So if you're around that channel, like tune into what he has to say. I just feel like he understands baseball uh, to a greater extent than, than most other analysts or, or players that have, you know, been in the game. Yeah, and he's an Illinois guy. So, yeah, more props to uh, Jim Tomey. So, yeah. For sure. All right, who do you got? Who do you got next? All right. Well, yeah, we're getting toward the tail end here. Um, I have some, man. I have some good guys here. I've got some considerations to make. Uh, but I think in just securing what I want bullpen wise, um, I want to take the guy who held the title for the most saves uh, before Mariano Rivera took that title. So. You already talked about Mr. Padre, Tony Gwynn, but when you think about the Padres, the other guy that always comes to mind is Trevor Hoffman. Um, he is a Hall of Famer. He has 601 saves. That's second all-time. Um, yeah, seven-time All-Star, two-time reliever of the year. And, yeah, I just feel like he was a model consistency. He always was at that 30-save clip or higher, always had a sub-3 RA. You know, never shaky. I think they got to one World Series as a as a squad and got, you know, swept pretty promptly by the ninety-eight Yankees. But, you know, hope you know, wishing that Hoffman had more big moments like that to kind of showcase his talents, but you know, I felt like he was kind of mirrored in mere, you know, mediocrity out in San Diego for the majority of his career. But um yeah, in general when you think about closers and guys that could just end ball games, I mean he's he's right up there. So I think with with him Smoltz and Wagner, I feel pretty good about, um, you know, closing out most games. Yeah. 
uh, and he, there was a time where, where he was not, for whatever reason, like deemed uh, Hall of Fame worthy. And it's like, I don't know, this guy had as good of stats as he could possibly imagine in the closer position. He was literally like the second best closer of all time. Like, how can he not be a Hall of Famer? Uh, yeah, definitely known for uh, that changeup too. So like such a deadly changeup there. And, you know, consummate professional too. So yeah, Hoffman, Trevor Hoffman, man. One of the best closers uh, of all time. Uh, no, I think it's a solid pickup there to round up your bullpen. Yeah. And then to round up my bullpen, since I might as well do that, you know, I got to get, I think I got to get another righty in here. You know, I do feel pretty good, I guess, with Mariano at the closer position. He's got that cutter, so he can definitely, you know, uh, hold his own against lefties and then Araldis as well. So I'm going to go righty here. Um, debating between a couple players, but... You know, I feel pretty confident about uh, this player here. Uh, was brought onto the scene at an early young age uh, with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, or I think it was just the Angels, Anaheim Angels at that time. Uh, the, the 2002 uh, World Series that they won there with the whole Rally Monkey, Mike Shosa, and, ev and everything there, uh, that whole nuts uh, playoff run that they did. But yeah, I came in as a 20-year-old uh, kid, known as K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez, man. Uh, I think he had like the saves record for a little bit as well, uh, for a single season at least, uh, and was pretty just dominant during that time there. Uh, you know, it ran into some injuries, I think, later on in his career, but yeah, you, you, you can't deny his overall numbers, his overall effort, his, you know, uh, wind-up as well was pretty fun too. So, uh, but yeah, K-Rod... Uh, you know, became like a young, uh, brought into the scene at a young age, dominated there, had an awesome, I, I just remember that was just such a good run and fun time. I feel like for, uh, you know, if you just like baseball there. So yeah, K-Rod rounding up my bullpen. Let's go. That's going to be lights out. I feel like. Yeah, man. It's actually funny. Cause as you were setting that up, I was thinking about the other closer in Anaheim, uh, Troy Percival. And I think they're both <laughs> part of that world series team and, like you were saying, like K-Rod was really young and he was amazing in that whole playoff run. And I think he was setting up for Troy at that time. So when you were actually going through your whole explanation, I was thinking Troy Percival because they're both like, <laughs> in my eyes, like Hall of Fame worthy closers. But uh, but yeah, man, K-Rod, like you said, in that one year, especially where he, you know, I think he has the all time single season record for saves. I mean, that was so impressive. And, it, it, and maybe Eric Gagne is kind of in the hunt for that single season record. I'd have to double check on that, but I think that, uh, yeah, for what it's worth, K-Rod was nasty at that wipeout slider. Um, yeah, just electric stuff and yeah, just a great personality for the game. I feel like he brought a lot of energy, um, out of that bullpen for that year, especially, but, uh, yeah, it's a good pick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at that right now. Uh, K-Rod does have it, but then I think Gagne, he did something special. Well, I think Gagne, Gagne had it, uh, in 2003, it looks like. Uh, but then K-Rod actually got it a little Didn't bit later he? at 2008. Uh, or I think I'm reading this right. Yeah, I think this is right. Maybe Gagne had like the most consecutive saves without blowing one. Was that what think... it was? There was something that Gagne was like, yeah, he had like a two-year stretch of dominance that was like insane. Yeah, yeah, I think it was that. Or yeah, and then he also like didn't give runs too, which is like, that's your job like for a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there was all that. And I think he was, 
I think he was up for a Cy Young or something as well uh, uh, because of all that. Um, but yeah, Gagne was another pitcher I was contemplating on. But for me, it's like maybe it was a little bit more sentimental. Maybe it was like, all right, he had the saves record too. But yeah, K-Rod was, uh, he was definitely a fun guy. Uh, and I think he can definitely also be a great uh, setup person to the, the GOAT. So. For my final pick, um, yeah, I just got this one bench spot. And I have been thinking about this as we've been just talking this entire time. And <laughs> this one's been really tough for me because I'm looking at, you know, maybe the best standout talent of, you know, this whole time that we're speaking of. I was thinking about guys that have just some amazing counting stats or accolades that like really play well to their stature um, in the game. And then I was also kind of looking at positional need, and I think what would make the most sense to do here is to pick a guy who can fill a couple positions that maybe I need some support in. Um, so a guy who has played second base primarily throughout his entire career and had also come up as a catcher, uh, surprisingly. So when Mike Piazza's knees start going south, I have a guy who you know at least played a little bit of catcher um, throughout the beginning of his career, but... To me, this guy, like, I feel like when I think about great baseball players, I just think about gamers and guys that I think are complete dirtbags, guys that, you know, play the game the right way and, like, are willing to just put it all on the line for the team they're a part of. Um, this guy has the second most all-time hit-by-pitches. He always had a dirty jersey. He always had the eye black, the big elbow pad, um, compiled over 3,000 hits for his career almost 300 home runs. He's a Hall of Famer, a four-time Gold Glove winner, five-time Silver Slugger. He's actually six in doubles all-time, which I thought was an interesting stat. But, you know, if you thought of, you know, the 90s and growing up and watching a lot of games on WGN for the Cubbies uh, back in the day, the Houston Astros were a part of the NL Central. And, man, Craig Biggio was like, was that kind of guy. Like, he was just a gritty grinder type, you know, type of player who'd get on base, you know, follow it up with the other killer bees with uh, Derek Bell. And then you had Jeff Bagwell for that 90 stretch. And then Lance Berkman came around and that like really added some thunder to that lineup. But yeah, man, played his whole career in Houston. Um, just, a, yeah, just my definition of a baseball player. And I think, uh, you know, if Mookie's at second base and, you got Piaz behind the dish. It's just nice to have Biggio coming off the bench to spell them. Yeah, Biggio uh, got on base, hit the ball, uh, can hit homers, uh, consummate, you know, professional, solid defense all around. Um, I think he even played a little bit of center field to center field there. So very much an overall baseball player, kind of an overall utility player, but definitely was a stronghold for the Astros at second base. Uh, shame. Yeah. He didn't win a world series. I wonder why, you know? Uh, but yeah, the <laughs> <laughs> definitely, uh, I think, you know, one of the, uh, maybe not the most flashiest players, but you know, you look at his, uh, his, his overall, uh, work, uh, was definitely instrumental. I think towards, you know, getting Jeff Bagwell, a bunch of RBIs, Moises Alou, a bunch of RBIs, Lance Berkman, a bunch of the RBIs. Right. So yeah, that killer bees team was, was deadly. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good round off and man, I definitely forgot he was like a catcher too and all and, you know, shortstop center field. So, uh, you know, I kind of, I think now as we're rounding off everything, well, first off, I'm like, 
I think I pigeonholed myself a little bit by taking Jim Tomei because I think he played a little bit of third base, but he can't play shortstop. Yeah, yeah. He can't do all the. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, a little bit of a stretch. Maybe he can play catcher. I mean, all you have to do is catch ball, right? Like I don't know. So I can I can take this a number of ways. I'll definitely acknowledge all that. Uh, you know, do I want to take a catcher here? Maybe. Uh, I guess I'm debating whether I want to take uh, you know one a catcher here or you know yeah I'll I'll just have Pudge like like play every single day. So, but uh, I think I'll go the more agile route uh, here and take a middle infielder that. Uh, is still playing today. I like his game. Maybe he can play catcher. Why not? <laughs> let's, let's put him at catcher. Let's see what happens. But you're talking about one of the top uh, second basemen in today's game can hit the ball, is my size, and can hit 20 homers every single year now. I'm going to go with Jose Altuve, uh, World Series champ. We, we can always debate whether... It's right, you know, could they hear, did they hear the bangs? Did they do all the signaling and cheating, all that? Fine, that's for a game. But even before all that, like, when he was a rookie, like, he would hit 300. He would get, like, 30-some-odd stolen bases. And then, yeah, now he's able to hit, you know, as he's filled up his body and just is this jacked-up, like, five foot six, uh, you know, 170 dude is able to hit homers now. So, yeah, Jose Altuve uh, can solid also uh, – uh, on the defensive end, not just the hitting side. So I feel like he's definitely setting himself up for a Hall of Fame career. So, yeah, I really believe Jose Altuve lining everything up here. Sure, throw him at the at the backstop. Why not as a, to spell out uh, you know, Ivan Rodriguez ever so often. So, Yeah, I mean, Altuve, um, you know, I know he's been dealing with some injuries now uh, as we kind of like move into his 30s. Um, but in general, even when he came up, I feel like I saw him in a Futures game and just like was looking at some of his minor stats. And I'm like, man, this guy's OBP is off the charts. He bats like 330 in the high minors. And I took a gamble on him in fantasy. I feel like one year, like I feel like either his rookie year or second year or something like that. But man, he just did nothing but pay dividends for me. And he always flew under the radar, like year in, year out. Guys would overlook him in the second, third rounds, and I was like, man, this guy is just money. He is just, he's going to get on base. He can hit for power. He controls the strike zone. You know, he steals a ton of bases. Um, you know, he performed in the playoffs, and like you were saying, the the you know the garbage uh, can bangs are one thing, but, you know, I think they've put that, you know, somewhat to bed. I would imagine they're policing this stuff a lot better these days with all the allegations that popped up based on that 27 world series but he's still you know putting his numbers on the board and you know aggregating those stats and he's like one of those guys you can you can bet that like if he just stays healthy for the remainder of his career you know he's a shoo-in for like the 3,000 hit club and you know maybe could get over that you know four or five hundred stolen base mark or something of sort or you know be in contention for top 20 runs or other stuff but like Again, a guy like a Craig Biggio, probably a little bit more skilled as a hitter, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, you know, hopefully, I don't really care for him, but like, hopefully, just for, you know, I don't know, his sake, like he he can continue to stay healthy and and you know perform to his potential. Yeah, yeah. Just adding on that, yeah, he's at uh, at least right now, he's he's almost at two thousand hits. 
201 homers and then stolen bases. Looks like he's at 291. So very much so can have like a 300, uh, 300 type of career, I think, right now uh, for, you know, homers, stolen bases. And then, yeah, maybe he's able to get 2,500. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, he's battled some injuries. So depending on how uh, long he you know, plans on playing for the remainder of his career, like, 3,000 might be a little bit of a stretch, but yeah, if he can get to 2,500, like, I think that's, you know, that could be a nice benchmark there. But right now, like, an MVP under his belt, a couple of silver sluggers, uh, all-star appearances. Uh, looks like he also has a gold glove. You know, uh, I, I definitely see him as a potential Hall of Famer here. So, yeah, love me some Jose Altuve. For sure. Well, I believe that rounds it out for bulk rosters. Um, I think it'd be cool to just go ahead and go around the diamond with your team and just just shout out your entire roster just so we can bring it back into full picture and and maybe discuss a little bit yeah man uh you know now that i'm looking i was like do i got leadoff fitters but hey whatever it's it's the new age game it doesn't really matter so uh going starting from the the catcher spot i got uh von pudge rodriguez you know one of the best all-around players and in my mind like the best catcher of the modern day era here uh, I also got Frank Thomas at first base, you know, Mr. OBP, uh, Mr. You know, uh, uh, constant professional white sock, uh, good smile. And just a big guy, the big hurt man, Roberto Alomar, one of the, probably the best defensive second baseman of all time. And he can hit. So, uh, definitely feel great about him there. Alex Rodriguez, my first pick, uh, say what you want about, you know, his love life and all the drama that maybe go around him and everything. But the guy can play uh, before any type of allegations and such. And, you know, at the shortstop, a premium position, had a Hall of Fame career in, in my mind. Chipper Jones uh, at third base, one of the you know best uh, third baseman switch hitters out there uh, and was a staple within that uh, Braves lineup. Manny Ramirez, you know, one of the best overall all-around hitters uh, and, you know, can hit opposite field as, as well as any as well as anybody Ken Griffey Jr., sweetest swing uh, out there. Uh, and, yeah, was 90s baseball, essentially. Uh, and then Vladimir Guerrero at right field. Uh, David Ortiz, got to have that clutch uh, DH there. Tony Gwynn, uh, Jim Tome, Jose Altuve to round up the position players there. Starting pitching, uh, I definitely feel good about you know my picks here. Got me some... Rocket, Roger Clemens, as well as Greg Maddox, you know, Mr. Efficiency there. Uh, Pedro Martinez, some of the most dominant seasons you'll ever see. Justin Verlander, supermodel. Uh, Roy Halladay, uh, the innings eater, Hall of Fame career. Araldus Chapman, uh, Mr. 105. K-Rod, K-Rod, uh, you know, rally monkey and everything. And then Mo, the goat, uh, Rivera there to close it off uh, as my closer. That sounds pretty good. Um, yeah, going around the diamond for me, left to right, I've got Barry Bonds, Mike Trout, and Ichiro Suzuki. Uh, infield, debatable who I want to start here. Uh, might go with the higher war combo, so I'll say third base, Wade Boggs, shortstop, Cal Ripken, uh, Mookie Betts playing second base. Albert Pujols at first, and then I have Mike Piazza starting behind the dish with uh, my DH being Shohei Otani, 
And then I've got Ricky Henderson, Derek Jeter, and Craig Biggio uh, rounding out the bench. Uh, for starters, I felt like at the start I was trying to play catch up with you, but I honestly love my rotation of uh, Clayton Kershaw, Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, Tom Glavin, and Max Scherzer. I've got Shohei Otani as a two-way player, so he'll probably get some starts here and there. Um, and then the just you know the bullpen have uh, Billy Wagner as my lefty, kind of helping to you know keep your bats at bay, your lefty bats. Um, John Smoltz, kind of the swingman type. I can have him close games or maybe jump into the rotation every once in a while. And then you know Trevor Hoffman, just like you know your your pure classic closer with you know, just good numbers all around and, you know, a bunch of saves right, you know, right below Mo, uh, all time. So, um, yeah, I think with that, um, man, love to hear anyone's commentary. If folks have stuck around and watched this draft and enjoyed it and kind of reminisced with us, like, please look at both rosters and throw your vote out there. Like, tell us what you think we could have improved upon or where we could have, you know, grabbed a, a different guy to, you know, compliment these, uh, these monster rosters that we've put together. But um, I did have a question overall as we went through this draft process, but for Wayne, um, were there any players that fell through the cracks for you where you're like, damn, like, I wish I got him, you know, at that spot or just made some room on my roster for a certain player? Yeah, I really liked your pick of Ricky Henderson. So I'll say that, uh, you know the speedster. I don't really have too much speed on my on my roster. I'll say so. Uh, you know, I think most of my players like they're either they're not really speedsters. They're the position. They're they're versatile. I should say they're versatile. So, but yeah, uh, I think that Ricky Henderson pick. You know, Hall of Famer right there and one of the best players of all time. I think him and then yeah, having Barry Bonds like that's 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 that, that, those are two of the best left fielders I think of all time there. So. Um, and no, apart from that, no, I really don't care about the rest of your money, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I got, I love my pudge. I love my pudge. Pujols definitely is a great one. I, I will give you that. Uh, and then Shohei, I was thinking about Shohei. Uh, I think you have a lot more versatility than my uh, lineup and roster here with Shohei, Shohei Otoni, obviously being a pitcher and a great hitter. Uh, and then uh, Craig Biggio has that position versatility and background there, whereas like my players, my bench, it's like there's just a hodgepodge of obviously great hitters, but uh, not as much of the position versatility there. So, but overall, I feel like yeah, my lineup could take up yours for sure. Well, I don't know about that, but um, I will say <laughs> like I, I really wish I had Tony Gwynn on my team, as mentioned. I think the Pudge pick actually turned out to be kind of a like a if somebody was to go into these drafts, I don't think they would think about Pudge being a priority, but when you actually do think about the value that he brought to the position throughout, you know, this whole time period that we're talking about, like he's definitely in that elite category as well as Mo Rivera in your uh, relief core. I mean, to see a guy who's got twice the war as the next greatest, you know, relief pitcher in this era, that is just, I mean, that's ridiculous, man. It really truly is. And I mean, for what he yeah. was, I mean, he's totally worth the, you know, the, the pick that you grabbed him at. Um, but I guess like, you know, taking a look at these rosters and like thinking outside of it, were there any other guys that didn't make either of our teams that you were highly considering or somebody just fell off just slightly that you'd like to put some spotlight on? 
Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Um, you know, I was thinking about catcher too. Uh, so, you know, when I was debating with him with Jose Altuve, and do I take Jose Altuve versus like a catcher? Maybe this is where I felt conflicted. Of like, did I pigeonhole myself with uh, Jim Tomei there in that pick there? You know, a guy that has six hundred plus homers. Uh, but you know, I would have. I really liked. Uh, you know, there was several catchers during this era. I think a couple that come to mind were. You know, Yadier Molina, obviously, uh, to hold runners on the defensive side. Decent hitter as well. Uh, Joe Maurer as well. Like, you know, an MVP, multiple batting titles. Uh, solid defense overall, uh, overall as well. Uh, but I, 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 I think I have a more sentimental thought, at least with regards to Buster Posey. Uh, I think he's maybe, I don't want to say underrated, but he's like maybe a little bit more overlooked, I think, uh, you know, maybe as we you know take a step back at his career, right? Kind of retired fairly early. I think retired when he was like thirty three, maybe or thirty four. Uh, so you know, could have definitely accumulated more stats there. But you know, I I I just think he definitely lost you know a step in his game. Uh, but you know, we're talking about a player that has won what three World Series, an MVP. Uh, I think he has a Gold Glove in there, and I think you know batting title as well. Like that's a pretty good resume overall. And, you know, uh, maybe if he did accumulate more stats, he would be considered as like a Hall of Famer of some sort, and maybe he will be. But honestly, like you know, he was a staple within those uh, Giants uh, championship teams there, and I think he was a good reason for that to you know maintain as uh, the the pitching staff that they had with you know Tim Lincecum, Madison Bumgarner, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There, uh, but then yeah, he was also a good hitter. Uh, and you know that team did not really have a stacked you know lineup in terms of hitting, but he was a good hitter and came up clutch a lot of times. So that I, I probably would have gotten Buster Posey there, but yeah, I you know for Jim having Jim Tomey in the lineup, six hundred plus homers, I'll take that. Whatever he can play third or catch, it doesn't matter. So yeah, <laughs> man, Joe Maurer is a great shout out because I was looking at him in Piazza at my catcher mm-hmm. position and. Fairly comparable war uh, for a career, but in the same sense, completely different players. I mean, Maurer was just more of that smooth swing in, you know, actually good defensive catcher who was just a thorn in our sides as White Sox fans for that entire, you know, 2000, 2010s uh, stretch, you know, and, uh, you know, three batting titles for a catcher. I mean, Buster Posey did that um, as well, I believe, one season, but, you know, just to kind of be everything they expected him to be as a top, you know, pick in that draft. I think he went number two after, uh, no, he went number one. And I think Mark Pryor went number two, uh, in that draft. I mean, he just lived up to really all the hype that they had for this Minnesota high school catcher and got to, you know, got to do it in his home state, which I think is also pretty cool for the entire, you know, stretch of his career. So got to retire a twin as well. So shout out Joe Maurer for sure. Um, yeah, it's going to say on my end, this is crazy, and I never thought this in terms of how good statistically this player was throughout you know the 2010s, but to kind of just look at where he matches up in terms of war, um, comparable to a lot of the guys that we were discussing and debating, I mean, he's got a higher career war than Ken Griffey Jr., he's got a higher career war right now than Mike Trout, um, Jim Tomey, um, you know, he's almost neck and neck with Albert Pujols, uh, and he didn't make either of our teams based on the fact that I think his branding and what we actually thought about him during his time as a player just like just fell a little bit short of being like that 
that top build superstar. But uh, Adrian Beltre has a career 94 war. He's got almost 3,200 career hits, almost 500 home runs. He was a five-time gold glover, two-time platinum glove, which is best, you know, in that game uh, overall. But he actually ends up ranking 11th in all-time doubles as well. So, I mean, it's kind of nuts he did. You know, a lot of damage with the Dodgers earlier on in his career. I think he had 48, 49 home runs one season. But then, you know, with the Rangers consistently put up 30 to 100, you know, seasons year after year. And it's just like, you know, I remember him being like a really good glove and just how much they would talk about that. And yeah, he had power and he was a staple in that Rangers lineup for most of his career. uh, The ones where they got to the World Series and fell short. But it's like, man, dude, this guy gets... Like, not enough respect. And, you know, when Hall of Fame comes around, I mean, he's got to be first ballot. Um, just based on these, like, stats that I'm looking up. But I was just, like, kind of in awe of that. And it's going to make him, like, one of my sleeper choices at the end of the draft. But it had Cal Ripken and Wade Boggs. So, like, he unfortunately fell a little bit short there. So, um, anyways, shout out Adrian Beltre. And hopefully he can get a little bit more respect uh, in MLB circles. Yeah, I, I did debate between Shipper and Adrian Beltre. Uh, and I do know the war disparity there. Uh, but yeah, for me, I was like, I, I, I got to go for the, the switch hitter in this case uh, with Chipper. Uh, Chipper was never like the best defensive third baseman either. But yeah, to your point, Beltre, like, you know, maybe a, not as like a flashy Derek Jeter postseason, but kind of somewhere that very consistent, like, like you were mentioning, like, you know, 20, 30 plus homers. Uh, we usually get like 90 RBIs, you know, 100 on, you know, some seasons here and there. So, but like, yeah, at the third base position, on top of that, like goal glove level defense, like on, again, over the course of like a 20 year career, uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. And, you know, it is, I don't know what there's, there's something I think with third baseman where we just overlook what they're doing, you know, with Scott Rowland, I, I know we kind of went through a similar thing there, right. With, you know, is he a hall of famer? It's like, well, I don't know. He's. His seasons stack up really well compared to like other like current Hall of Famers. So yeah, Beltre didn't get as much or hasn't got as much love, but yeah, you look at his numbers overall, it's like is as good as anybody possibly out there. And yeah, it's awesome. You know, with war, we you know we can definitely take it with a grain of salt, but at the same time, he definitely uh, has the numbers to back up. I think everything that we're discussing here. Uh, so definitely sh- should be I think a uh, a person to be. Um, you know, possibly on one of our rosters here. Maybe he could play catcher. I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to see too, like how like a couple guys who didn't make our rosters either, both third basemen. Um, they're both you know thirty two, thirty one respectively. But Nolan Arenado and Manny Machado um, would love to see how they trend for the rest of their careers because I think overall their their numbers model a lot of what Beltre put on paper too. Um, but I feel like when you just hear those names you just consider those two guys to be like superior to adrian beltre and it's like a a little bit unfair um maybe just didn't get the press he needed in the teams that he was on and he was on boston as well and some of those bigger personality type teams and stuff so i don't know man but um yeah anyways uh he held his weight and uh yeah it's cool to kind of look into the analytics of some of these guys and and see what they were truly made of yeah and i was uh i i did also, want to uh, before I forget, uh, Ichiro is definitely a pick. Like, I I would have loved to have him on my team. Like, that was the that was definitely probably the number one. Now, now, <clears throat> now that I think about it, 
with regards to a player that I love, they have that sentimental value, but then also just their overall level of play. And then, yeah, they can run the bases. So especially when you got Mike Piazza <laughs> as your catcher, <laughs> like if I got Ichiro out there, I'm just going to round out the bases there. So, but yeah, like, you know, uh, I'm just thinking the, the strategic side of baseball now. Pudge, he's going to hold your guys. He's going to go hold Ichiro as much as he can. Ricky Henderson, right? All that speed. Like, you know, Pudge, out of all players, like, I feel like he, he would definitely be there. Mike Piazza can't hold anything. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I feel pretty good about that. But For sure. Um, well, this has been a very thorough and, you know, lengthy draft session that we had. So, um, unless there aren't any other baseball thoughts, um, we can definitely move on to our finals for the night. Yeah. Uh, uh, last one. I know. Yeah, this definitely is a long, uh, you know, episode here. But you know, if there if there was a manager out here, uh, you know, I, I'd like to know from you, Pat. Who would you take? I'll give you the pick here, since my roster is superior to yours, and they need all the managing that they can get. I go Bobby Cox. I'm gonna go Bobby Cox first manager that comes to mind for me. I mean, the the model of consistency, like. You know, a lot of the players we were talking about, like closers and, um, you know, some players that just year on year out did their thing. Like Bobby Cox, just under the radar, 90 win seasons year after year. That Braves team, I mean, they definitely made, I think they won their division maybe every season of the 90s, if not maybe a couple of years here and there. I, I would imagine they for sure got a wild card spot at the very least. But, you know, to just, I think overall, I think he has the most career wins for any manager as well. But, you know, to be able to assemble a roster like that and to keep it intact for that, you know, stretch of time and kind of be a part of a lot of World Series, um, you know, over the years and even just NLCS appearances and things like that, like that's just a lot to, uh, you know, tip your cap on. And and I've never heard a bad thing come up, you know, come up out of the angel or the, sorry, the Atlanta dugout of, you know, of any past players that said anything bad about Bobby Cox. And, you know, I think part of it is anytime there was a dispute, Bobby would be the first one to run out there and kick dirt and get ejected. And he's probably leads to the all time uh, ejections list. I would imagine as well for MLB. I'd have to double check that too, but like, yeah, man, he just seemed like a real you know, steady hand and somebody that uh, understood the game very well. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you talk about the Braves team and everything like, you know, a lot of teams can implode in that sense, but Bobby Cox was the person and even after that nineties team, like he was definitely a staple uh, in terms of like transitioning from that nineties team with all that pitching staff to kind of like almost, you know, not just what they are right now, but there was definitely that transition of like, you know, the Brian McCann years, right. Of, okay, you know, we're getting away from Javi Lopez. Let's, <laughs> let's put in Brian McCann. Can he be like the, you know, the, the player that takes us to the next step here, uh, to the next generation. So, uh, consummate winner. Um, so I think that's a great win there. Um, I might've picked him too, but then I think there was a, you know, some other player or some other managers that to consider here as well. Um, I think for me, at least, you know, the persona that I like the, probably the best for my team here, I got to go with Terry Francona. I feel like, you know, he has this like laid back personality, uh, that I think a lot of players, especially if they have, you know, uh, I think he's kind of like the Phil Jackson. I feel like he's got like the Zen type of component to him and that he always feels like things, things are going to work out. Right. And I think you need that, you know, for a manager, you look at his 
uh, winning records, uh, whether they be with you know the now Guardians or obviously the Red Sox when he won a couple World Series there. But he always elevates teams. I feel like uh, maybe not so much the the Phillies uh, during the '90s there, but uh, yeah, uh, the teams of late that he's uh, kind of that he's managed. He's always t- taking them to the next step. I feel like, and that's I think what you want for a man or for a team, especially ones you know with talent. It's like, can you take this talented team, elevate them, get them over the hump? Uh, I feel like that's where Terry Francona uh, works his best there. So uh, Terry Francona, he also managed MJ. So how about that? With the whole Phil Jackson talk too. Man, yeah, I, I love Terry Francona. I mean, his Boston days really stand out, but even what he's doing in Cleveland now, like that was such a smart hire and, you know, kind of wish the White Sox would have pulled, you know, the trigger on some of the, you know, the the ability to grab a guy like Francona when he was, you know, let go by Boston, I think pretty foolishly. So, uh, yeah, man, I think he's, I'm looking at the list, he's 12th all-time in career wins. Um, I misspoke. Bobby Cox isn't the all-time leader in wins. It's uh, Connie Mack, who's got 3,700 Tony LaRusa actually has more wins than Bobby Cox by 400 or so. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. But, uh, yeah, wins and losses aside, I mean, Terry is a modern-day, you know, players-type coach. I think he still, you know, commands a lot of respect and, you know, isn't just a complete uh, players coach or anything in that sense. But I think really understands how to build culture and how to build, you know, good camaraderie and, and team. And, and I loved his comments in the Tim Anderson j-ram fight like he's just very honest uh i think that you know uh, definitely gets respect from his peers and players and stuff like that so uh yeah man good pick and uh i probably should give a shout out i mean not for tony as much because we went through that awful run uh last year and, and beforehand but uh dusty baker too i think is like starting to move himself up the charts a little bit too i think you know not winning a world series was always a bugaboo of his and got over that hump last year and we'll see where things end you know, this year, maybe next uh, with that Astros team, but he's definitely starting to inch his way closer and closer to Bobby Cox for most all-time wins. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Dusty Baker, I mean, he definitely had those, you know, nice runs with both the Cubs and then also the Giants, right? And then yeah, now with the Astros. So, uh, and then I think he also had like a sim with the Reds too. And wherever he goes, he he elevates the team as well. So I think that's a, that's a sign of just a good overall manager there. For sure. Well, uh, yeah, if there's nothing else, um, you know, Wayne, if you want to put out your final thought for the night, I'll follow suit. Yeah. Yeah. I guess for my final thought, uh, you know, I want to give a shout out to, uh, spam garlic, rice and eggs. Uh, so, uh, my, my, my grandma of 92 years passed away recently. Uh, and every time she would come from the Philippines to the United States, uh, she would always make uh, some spam, garlic, rice, and eggs, and it's a staple within any type of breakfast uh, with regards to the Filipino community. So definitely love me some spam. You know, made a nice meal in homage to my grandma of 92 years old. There. Uh, one thing also to know about my grandma is that for whatever reason, whatever reason it is, I don't know if it was a smile, if it was a 90s thing or what, but she always loved Sammy Sosa, and I, you know, I'm a White Sox fan, but you know, that was a good time when Sammy Sosa was hitting homers and everything. I'm like, well, why don't you look at Frank Thomas? He hits homers too, but Sammy hits homers. So she really enjoyed, uh, you know, watching Sammy Sosa hit homers as well. You know, she was uh, playing around with my baby sister during the time. So those are definitely some memories I'll definitely take on and all there. So 
yeah, shout out, spam, garlic rice and eggs, staple meal, and sure, shout out to Sammy Sosa. I didn't pick you for this because, you know, Vladimir is just a better defender, but, you know, got to love what you did in the 90s there. Yeah, I mean, shout out Wayne's, uh, you know, grandmother. Sorry for the passing. We spoke about, you know, her backstory and what her legacy will be in the Pua family before we join this. But yeah, um, you know, good tribute. And overall, it sounded like she lived a really full life, which it's all you can really ask for for anyone, really. But 92 years is is a good amount of, uh, you know, life spent and life spent well. So yeah, uh, my condolences and you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully somewhere where she may be, uh, Sammy Sosa's, uh, you know, cranking balls, uh, onto Waveland. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Uh, what's your final thought, Pat? I think for me, I mean, you know, staying on this baseball topic, you know, going back to the nineties, I, I had a lot of fun going through this whole like data process of like, you know, putting my list together from the nineties, the two thousands, the twenty tens and like sorting players out and all that good stuff. And I don't know, man, it just got me to thinking like looking back over this time period that we covered, um, really what was my favorite, um, you know, year in terms of like which world series really stood out to me and which one like I always remember. And and I feel like for me, it was the 97 World Series between uh, the Cleveland Indians at the time and uh, the Florida Marlins, as they used to be called. Uh, back in 97, it was kind of like this up-and-coming franchise that, you know, just gotten some good vets and some good young players to kind of like fill out their team with guys like, you know, Levon Hernandez, Edgar Renteria. They had like veteran boppers like Gary Sheffield, Bobby Bonilla. Um, they had a closer Rob Nen that they brought over and then like Kevin Brown and Al Leiter were like really solid starters back in the day, but they went up against the Indians who like still to this day are like, you just, uh, you know, stuck with not having a, a world series win. I think that they have like the longest stretch of any active club right now, if I have that right. But, uh, man, just like watching the tribe back in the day, you know, as I was growing up, just the, the squads they had together, I think we were talking about it early with guys like, you know, Tommy Alomar, uh, Kenny Lofton or Marquise Grissom, depending on the year. I mean, this one they had Grissom, but, uh, you know, it was just like the Matt Williams, uh, Sandy Alomar. I think they had Richie Sexton and Travis Ryman, like other guys. It's just like, it was so much fun watching them club it. And, you know, that whole series was like a lot of fun. I think I was like pulling for Cleveland um, just based on seeing them more against the White Sox. But I think at some points the, you know, the, the matchup seesawed and then they got to game seven and, uh, Jose Mesa, the closer of the Indians, like kind of blew it down the stretch, but just remember being on the edge of my seat. I was only about 10 years old then, but I was still like super into the game and, uh, just like a very high point before, you know, the big home run, uh, action and scandals came along and kind of like took the, took the soul out of the game a little bit for a good stretch of time. But like, that was just a really fun run to watch you know, kind of Florida get their first one as a, as a franchise and, you know, just kind of watching a lot of great players go at it um, that we can now look back on and say, wow, like look at all the hall of famers that were part of that series. But uh, I guess Wayne, like, did you ever watch that? I guess growing up, but even so, like, what is your favorite world series from this time frame that we're talking about from 1990 to the present day? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that Marlins team was definitely something. 
And it is funny, but I think I might have mentioned about how, you know, uh, the Marlins, they always seem to win a World Series whenever they make the playoffs. So I think I did a little bit of research on that. I think, I, th- I believe in their history, they've made the playoffs like only three times, I think. I think that's right. Only three times, but they've won two World Series. So <laughs> when they go into the, like, it, they're dangerous. Like, you better watch out. So, um, which is kind of crazy to think of. So, you know, if they are able to sneak into the playoffs this season, that'll be, a, you know, maybe a team to watch. Who knows? They, do, they, they did get some bats, uh, you know, during the, tra- the trade deadline, and they do have some solid pitching. So a lot of things can, crazy things can happen there. But I would probably say there's a lot of good baseball, uh, but I feel like the Yankees versus the Diamondbacks, I think that was like an epic World Series. Uh because they're like two different teams. Like you got uh, the Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. You know both of pitchers you selected, right? Uh, you know uh, Luis Gonzalez as well. Uh, you know hit that, uh, got that base hit uh, right there at the end, game seven against my closer Mariano Rivera. So I feel like that was such a great series. You know, went to the game seven, but yeah, you had the Yankees, the evil empire, right? And I think that was 2001, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, around yeah. that time, right? Yeah. yeah, so that was, like, during the time, like, you know, 9-11 happened and everything, and it's like, okay, you know, some people are actually cheering for the Yankees. They want to feel feel good about New York. And then Luis Gonzalez is like, nope, I'm going to get that blooper single out there with all the roids I've been packing and all that, or PDs he was, I guess, accused of taking there. So, uh, no, that was such a good series. And the, the great pitching, I think, was another thing, too. Um, but then, yeah, the, after that, like, you definitely got to talk Red Sox, Yankees. I think that was, that's just a given, like the whole game seven, you know, making the movie, uh, was a fever pitch about that too. Like that, that was just prime time. I think baseball there, but, uh, man, overall you got, I think those are just a couple of my favorite moments, but you got to love the playoff baseball that has been produced. I think, you know, just these past couple of decades here. For sure. And obviously, shout out to the White Sox of 05. Uh, you know, I know I was uh, on cloud nine when they actually got that final out. And that whole series was just so much fun to watch, like just the whole playoff stretch, because I, I think they lost one game. And it was so shocking to just see them mow, you know, through all these teams and stuff in such a quick fashion. But uh, the World Series itself, like there were those high moments. But when you're sweeping in a World Series, it's hard to like, if you're not a White Sox fan, I'm sure for a lot of America, they're like, wow, that's the most boring World Series of all time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the Canerco Grand Slam, the Pizetnik walk-off, I mean, I think there were a lot of great moments and, and things in 05. But, uh, but yeah, uh, no, I mean, I think that's, that's totally fair. Definitely watch the 01 World Series and Byung-Hung Kim, like, blowing a bunch of saves and them yeah. coming back and, like, Soriano hitting that big home run to put the Yankees up. And then it was like, Mo, like, like the one time he actually ever blew anything. So, uh, yeah, just incredible, but, uh, man, lots of fun. Um, yeah, I hope everybody, if you're with us still like enjoyed this whole, you know, run through of 1990s baseball through the present day. Uh, if you're a millennial, like Wayne and I, you know, you probably shared in a lot of these, memories growing up and watching this so if you're still with us give us a like a subscribe uh send us a comment on whose team is better or you know which players we forgot or 
you know, messed up on on certain picks. Like we're always happy to hear that stuff. Um, you can catch us on IG um, at Ball and Breakfast, and then we're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. Um, yeah, just check us out wherever you're at, and uh, we always appreciate uh, you dropping in. So, uh, for Wayne, I'm Patrick signing off for the Ball and Breakfast podcast.